everybody's got podcasts. My podcasts have names. The demons. Demons. We're a couple demons. Uh, that's the opening line of the film, right? Or the opening voiceover. It's, it's, it's the, the opening end voiceover. of the opening voiceover. Right. And then yes. the title rushes towards us or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We're a couple. Uh, we're like the Wendell and Wild of podcasting. Sure. In that we're like annoying little guys. Yeah. Demonic. Who live in someone's hair. Right. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about this right before we start recording. Uh, just the way scheduling stuff shakes out, new releases and what have you. Like, uh, at first we thought, oh, we'll do Sell at the end of the year and we'll like time it out around when Wendell Wild's coming out and then things shift around and you're like, oh, this episode's going to come out three months after the movie comes out. Right. Will that be annoying that we're like getting to it so late? And yes. it does feel like this movie uh, came out in October. We're recording right now in December. The episode will drop in January. I would say this movie has already been forgotten. I don't think most people are aware that it existed in the first place. Yeah, forgotten is almost the wrong word. How can you forget something you never knew existed? Right. Our episode coming out three months after this movie uh, re was released on Netflix. It was on the very popular streaming service. I think ultimately might function as a reclamation project. Yeah. I don't want to point any fingers at anybody because uh -huh. I don't know who made this decision. Yeah. But it felt like it was almost illegal to reference that this film was coming out. It, bizarre. Like that it was like some kind of like guarded secret. And not only that, but it was like, it does feel like Selick did the rounds. Selick went and did a lot of live there events. There was stuff. talks, It festivals. had a festival premiere. It did a lot of interviews and most of those interviews seemed to be buttressing more. It's the anniversary of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, and look, I'm among the I'm among the culprits here. I didn't write about this movie partly because of the problem of that I keep running into of like mm -hmm. I'm like, when do I cover this? Right, like it's out, but it's like barely out. It to like what extent is it out? Should I wait for the streaming release? And then the streaming release comes around, and you're kind of like, is this too late? No one's yeah. talking about it. Like such a weird situation. It also it it played at Toronto, but was one of those movies that feels like even though. You liked it. All yeah. our other friends who uh, saw it with you liked yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I did. I, I forgot about that. I did include it in my Toronto writing. Yes. Right. But you were like, that's one of five movies you saw that day. You well, see 20 movies in five days. Well, we're going to talk I'm, about David, it. I'm laying you up here. You are setting me up. Welcome. Uh, introduce our show. It's called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors, who experienced massive success early on in oh, their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce. Baby, here's a film where I don't even know how to define where this film this exists. This is the, the, the increasing situation with contemporary streaming releases where I'm like, seems kind of like a bounce, but I mean, if the whole financing model is bouncing. Right. So <laughs> it's a bounce within a bounce. Um, this is... The end of our Henry Selick miniseries. Ben Hosley's The Pod Mare Before Castmas. A good old time that we have had mm -hmm. covering the career of a great animator. Yeah. And uh, I was saying this to someone today. I don't know if you've had this experience, but when people ask me, so what director are you covering now? Or in the months leading up to this, what director are you covering next? And I'd say Henry Selick, and they would tilt their head and say, who? It does really feel... Like, the Burton thing is a shadow. He will never come out from he under it. He will never come out from under it. But, yes, I would do, like, Selick. And they'd be, like, blank face. And I'd be, like, uh, he has a new movie coming out, blank face. And I'd be, like, he's the guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas. And they're, like, Tim Burton? Selick. 
Henry Selleck. I got Henry that Selleck. so many times. And then I would do the, you know, he did James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. And they'd be like, oh, those were all the same guy. That's the exact conversation. Right. Yeah. So I do feel like we did a little good by making people think about these five movies. I don't bring up Monkey Bone at all in this conversation. I do. Usually. But maybe when, I build to that eventually. When like, I he also did Bone, this other thing. They're right. like, how do I not know about that movie existing? Uh, yeah, it's another one that it was sort of a federal law. And you're like, and it you're... lost a hundred million dollars, and it stars the actor that we're all revisiting the career of right now. Right, but no one's like, ah, Brendan, let's go through, you know, it's like school ties with honors and Cena Man the Mummy. It's, no one's like Monkey Bone. You remember that one? It truly feels like the one that is being scared. I feel like furry vengeance comes up in conversation more than Monkey Bone as part of the the Brennan Sans or whatever the fuck we're calling it. Yes, this is the uh, last film of Henry Selleck's career. I hope it's not the last in totality. No, it's his most recent effort. Here's the thing: like, even if this movie has, you cannot call it a success in terms of the public perception, right? Mm. It's not winning critics awards. It barely got reviewed and it doesn't feel like most people know it exists. I do think it still basically operates as a comeback for Selleck just in that like he finished a fucking movie and it was released. I think it might make it easier for him to get the next thing made. And it was also not like a monkey bone thing where it was slammed. No. Maybe the reviews were a little tepid or maybe the reception was just in general a little quiet. I think the reviews were largely good it just feels like people didn't cover it that much yeah 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 i feel like the reaction was generally like good you know happy to have have some notes but right right, well our reaction is happy to have them back yeah i like this movie a lot yes um i i i rank it probably the well we'll we'll do our rank yeah we can do all that later yeah but david most importantly as I said before, you saw this movie at the Toronto International Film Festival. I did. TIFF. Uh, where it premiered. Yes. On September 11th. Ooh. Oh, no. Uh, I did not see it at the premiere screening. I saw it at a press screening that I think was maybe a day or two later. Now, you have been building up to me the story. It's one of those accidental build-up situations. Quote, the Airbnb story. So here's how it went. I think on one episode, I said, oh, I should tell that Airbnb, my Airbnb story. Yes. Forgot. Genuinely right. forgot. I think it was the Woman King episode, the first episode we recorded right after, after you get back. Yes. And then people were like, what's the Airbnb story? And I was like, oh, right, right, right. Don't let me forget. And then on another episode, I may have said it again. You said, well, it happened before I went to see Wendell and Wild, so it maybe did. I save it for that Eventually, episode. I was like, you know what? I'll save it. Yeah. Now, I've been saving what is a small story, uh-huh. but now it has become a bit of a ball of wax. Yes. Uh, that I have to contend with. It relate does relate to my viewing of this movie, though, uh, and my experience at TIFF this year. Now, you say it's a small story, but it does sound like the story is big enough that you cannot tell it alone. Well, I've decided I'm going to call Shirley Lee. The great Shirley Lee. Friend of the show, past Shirley Lee. Past and future Lee. guest. Uh, past and future guest. Uh, because she was with me for most of this. Okay. Uh, and uh, she's my friend, and I love her. Mm-hmm. One of the great people. She is one of the great people. And so let's call it. Okay. Let's see if this works. We're going to call her on air. New technology calling on air. Exactly. This is also just fun for us. This is fun to see if we can can become a call out show. Oh, yeah. Not a call in show. Call out. You cannot call in. We can call you. I guess we could do a call in show. Hello. Oh, my goodness. Who's this? Oh, Shirley. Can you hear me? Hello. Oh, boy. She can't hear me. Wait. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) She's laughing. I can hear you now. Okay, okay. There you go. 
Remember that guy? The can you hear me now guy? Yeah. Can you hear us all? I can hear you all. Wow. Ben, good You're job. You're going loud and clear. That's Great. beautiful. Incredible. Hi, Shirley. It's David, your friend and co colleague. Hey. Shirley, you're in Los Angeles right now. That's true. Uh, what's the weather like? Um, It's brisk. It's chilly for LA. It's like in the 50s. Is it sunny? Uh, Yeah, it's quite sunny. All right. Sunny Los Angeles. Mm. Great. There we go. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> you're in sunny Los Angeles right now, and we are in uh, dank, windowless Brooklyn. It's actually kind of like LA weather here today. It's unseasonably warm. It is it's actually weirdly 52 warm. 52 degrees. <laughs> um, I thought I would call you because we are recording our Wendell and Wild episode and we are going to tell the Airbnb story. And I don't think you know this, but it's become a bit of a thing on our podcast that I wanted to talk about the thing that happened at our Toronto Airbnb this year. And I kept forgetting. And now it's been two months longer, three months, four months. Mm -hmm. When was Toronto? September. Three months. And remember, I, it was my birthday. It was your birthday. You turned. We went to Mama Fuku. Remember that? Congratulations. Don't tell everybody. I shouldn't. Is that a secret? Oh, your age. I'm sorry. We can cut that out. <laughs> All right. I'll bleep it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but we, we did go to Mama Fuku. We went in between bros and the woman king. Mm. Yes. Remember, they were like, we don't have a table for you unless you can finish in 45 minutes. And I was like, woman, we have to finish in 45 minutes. We have bros to see. They were like, can you eat fast? And we were like, challenge accepted. And also, you don't have to accept, like, accept anything. We we only have this much time. Right. Yes. I'm I just quickly, quick aside. I'm sorry. I'm confused. You saw bros? <laughs> yes, we did. We, but did. I, we did. But I thought straight men were the problem. We are the problem. Okay. Shirley and I were both the problem at bros. <laughs> we resolved after seeing it to never tell anyone to see it. Don't don't lump me in with the problem, David. This is what? No, you're right. It was men, my sorry. birthday. It yeah. was your it birthday. It was her birthday. Uh, it's not your fault. Okay, so, Shirley, you and I went to Toronto's International Film T Festival together. Mm -hmm. uh, we shared an Airbnb uh, in Toronto's beautiful downtown district. Oh, boy. Here we go. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, we were there for work, right? <laughs> yes, this is all true. I'm just laughing because I don't know how much you've built this story up over the past I really have built it up way too much considering what it is about to be. Listeners are now doing the that's Chappy meme, but with that's the Airbnb at you finally mentioning the Airbnb. They're doing Leo, <laughs> yeah. Leo on the couch. Pointing. Okay. Uh, and uh, surely on the evening of September 11th, 2022, yeah, a day that will live in infinity. If you remember, we both got home incredibly late. We go both got back to the Airbnb like at like midnight. Uh, you yes. had seen The Good Nurse, mm. I believe, mm -hmm. right? And they had done a thing where they were like, uh, the cast has to leave before the screening, so we'll do the Q&A in advance of the movie. Always makes sense. Yes, yes. It was, it was, I, I was maybe sort of losing my mind. I liked the film fine, right? Sure. I fine ended film. up writing about it. Just like they, they were like, let's shuffle the cast onto the stage and do the Q&A now before anybody has seen the movie. Right, without revealing anything about the movie. Yes, and it was a very vague, just annoying <laughs> waste of time. So you're a little strung out. You're a little tired. I had seen, I believe the last film I saw that day was Sex Drama Sanctuary with Margaret Qualley coming to theaters in 2023. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Um, anyway, we're both tired. And the next day, I have to see three movies, and then I'm going to drive out of Toronto mm -hmm. to New York. Where you live, your home. 
where I live because I foolishly drive to and from the Toronto International Film Festival, which is long and tiring, but I enjoy it and I hate flying. Yeah. Let's... And also this year I'd forgotten. I don't know where my passport is right now. So the right. only way I can cross the, into the Canadian border is by land because I have an enhanced driver's ID. Wow. Okay. This is all true. Yep. So Shirley, you know I'm stressed out about this. Yes. And Wendelin Wilde is screening at 9 a.m. I'm just remembering, you were telling us this story about your passport. Yeah. Before we recorded. Yeah. Then said, oh, you know what? That reminds me. I shouldn't tell you the rest of this. I have a I'll good story. I'll save it on my And then I've been waiting. So I've set that up for you twice now. Yes. Okay. And so I'm just, I'm just setting up that we're both a little tired and stressed out. Uh-huh. How's the house? You know, Shirley, what's your review of it? Of the Airbnb? The Airbnb itself. Yeah, the apartment that we were in. Uh, let's see. What are the what are the parameters again? I mean, like I I would put a four point nine. I'd say the wow, the wow. <laughs> you know, comfort, the cleanliness, the communication, all the C's. It seems it seems great. There was <laughs> all the C's. <laughs> it was like Toronto, especially downtown Toronto, is littered with these gigantic t- tower blocks of like recently built condo buildings, and they're all freaking Airbnbs. It's like a problem. I think yeah. like that the city has like they're all just kind of empty. Yeah. Which is a thing we encountered, Shirley. Would you agree? At this place that we were staying. That was very convenient to the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, that down, downtown Toronto is a Potemkin village. Yes, I, I agree. Right. I mean, <laughs> but it was, but as Shirley says, the Airbnb itself, totally nice. Anything you need, you know? Uh, all the amenities. Lovely. Did it have like a sign that said home? They always they did have, have a weird sign yeah. that said like home on the wall. I, I'm taking it down a notch to 4.8. There was no coffee. I had to rush out every morning. Okay. That's true. Fair and enough. you you got to have your coffee. I do. Shirley, would you also say my evaluation of our relationship the second we entered this Airbnb together was that we turned into teenage siblings and were constantly punching <laughs> each other and, and so on and being like, you're stupid, you're stupid. Like we just immediately <laughs> devolved into that. Or you would be like, uh, do you need the bathroom? I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I'd be like, no. And you'd be like, okay. Like, we would just do that at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like, I'm leaving for a screening. Is that fine with you? <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, we're home. It's about 1230 at night. Okay. And suddenly, Switching as over. we're chatting and winding down, mm-hmm. a loud noise happens in the apartment. An alarm noise. Like a, just like that. Just okay. one tone. One. Just one, not in a, you know, just one. Okay. And we were like, what was that? And it came out of like an intercom that was like built into the wall. Like not like your classic sort of smoke alarm that you can unplug. Right. Because this is like a modern building of modern convenience. Okay. This was like a 1984. Okay. Right. Okay. Surely, I think we both were just kind of like weird. And like, yeah, okay, time for bed. And like went to sleep, right? Would you agree? We we turned we 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 sort of turned in. I would agree. The the the, the sibling comparison is apt here because it was kind of like we don't have to take care of this. Mom and dad will. <laughs> sure. We were just sort of like, okay. And then it was either I think it was every half an hour that would happen again. Okay. Just like that. Uh-huh. Without warning or explanation. Surely who I salute, somehow fell asleep. Right, Shirley? You actually managed to just ignore this. Yeah. Here's the thing. Well, I think the difference was this was my first in-person TIFF, and Uh I was really worn out, and I had earplugs. You had earplugs. And, like, I I just curled up on on the the sectional 
You were sleeping on the sofa. Right. I, and Griffin, maybe you can understand this, mm -hmm. grew to both fear. I knew it was going to happen every half hour because the pattern emerged. Yes. So I couldn't get to sleep, partly because it would wake me up and partly because I was like, it's just going to happen again. How loud? Loud. Very like, loud. Like, bah. Louder. Like, louder. Very loud. It was, it's an alert. It was designed to alert you. <laughs> Damn. It definitely wasn't just someone going like, oh, hey, uh, man. You know, like it was like, <laughs> but the weird thing was that it was not sustained. Sure. So at 3.30 in the morning, yeah. after just hours of this, yeah. I've gone mad. Right. I have gone mad. I almost feel And like I'm also stressed out because I have to drive the next day. So I've got so much stress. You don't want to fall asleep on the road. But you're staring at the ceiling, just waiting for yes. it. Yeah. If it were a sustained thing, I almost feel like I have an easier time falling asleep because it becomes... It's just, you own. just make it the sonic bed. Right. right? Like, you just get in there. Versus, even if it would be sustained for two or three minutes, once an hour, mm -hmm. versus one burnt. <laughs> right. I'm it just was like, that like will sleep deprivation. It was me. like, they were yes. like, anytime you're about to nod off, don't worry, we're going to yeah. prod you again. So... At 3.30, I have, I, this is, I'm just saying that I have gone a little mad, I think. And Shirley's sleeping snug Shirley in a bug and a rug. Is, is, as far as I can tell, asleep. I'm not, like, walking over to her and, like, poking her. Shirley, but, like, can you verify this? Seems... I, I can, I can verify this. I can, I can corroborate the story thus far. Okay. Okay, so. <laughs> sleeping At 3.30, I've gone mad. I get up. And I'm just walking around the apartment going, like, what could this be? And I start to get into my head. And this is, I just, you know, I'm just, I'm a little loosey-goosey at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's a security pad at the, like, okay. front of, by the door. And I'm like, is, like, a door ajar? Mm -hmm. Is this, like, some weird, like, security system thing I don't understand? So I go over to it. And this is, I want to fully admit, the wrong decision. Okay. I start punching buttons. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I don't, like, look around for how do you control this thing or, yeah. like, email somebody because it's in the middle of the night. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I think I'm just delirious. And I'm like, I can just, uh, like, I can just turn this off. You're grumpy. You're sleep deprived. And you just start hitting things. In my memory, I truly just, truly just, I was like, this one? No. This one? No. Like, and, and guess what I did? Activated and armed the security system, which then immediately detected intruders and went off. And so I started a whole new problem, which was the security system was just blaring, you know, like full yeah. alarm. Like, yes. Now, know, not so only are you guys not sleeping, the neighbors are not well, sleeping. Well, here's the th there are no neighbors. No one's in this building. This is the thing I really realized. I was worried about that, obviously, but like, yeah. no one even other tiffers staying there. If there are, they're like spread out. Okay, like, this is a huge building. There were. I remember encountering them the next day. Yes, there are a few people. Surely you remember encountering people with death in their eyes and "I hate David Sims" printed on a T-shirt. We're not even. The story's not done. I remember just the "I hate David Sims" fan club, whatever you call hate club. They were there. Yeah, they 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 were there just for the whole week. They but. just don't like blank shack. Yeah, exactly. They were they were prepped. <laughs> yeah, they think we're cops. So no, but also I think I'm realizing as the security system is going off, is that's not coming out of the intercom that was making the other noise. This is coming out of the security system. Uh -huh. So I so at this point I'm like, oh my god, Shirley is now awake. I mean, right? This is this wakes you up, right, Shirley? You can, can you corroborate this? I, I yes, I I can verify that. I I fully woke up. Well, not fully. That's not the right word. I woke up to a symphony of noise. <laughs> if I pressed a button, it would stop it for a second. So I just kept being like beep 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 beep, beep like you know like just just stop it. You were DJing almost. Mm -hmm. 
This is why I wanted to call you, Shirley. I want your perspective on this, on you like waking up and just finding me like crouched by the front of the apartment. Wait, I don't remember. Okay, you were crouched. My I wasn't memory crouched. I was is, standing. Okay. Yeah. 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 I wake up and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I take out my earplugs, which was not a great call because then it was immediately a thousand times louder. louder. Right. And yeah, I get up, I walk over, and I just see you. You're you're standing in front of the alarm system, the security system. You're wringing your hands. Anybody who knows you can probably picture you just wringing your hands at like fast I've ever seen you before. Right now in front of me. <laughs> and I think like what was truly harrowing, it wasn't even the alarm. Like like it, it wasn't the alarm. It was seeing my friend David not be my friend David anymore. Like you were just like <laughs> you were you were a husk of a person. You were like like I think what crossed my mind was like you look like 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 you'd been infected. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You looked pale right. and like you were falling you were actively falling apart. Right. And I think like your soul had left your body. Right. That's right. what I remember. Right. Um <laughs> I think I remember you came and I was ashamed. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. I had woken you up. I felt bad. And also, I knew I was like, whatever this was, I should not have started hitting this security system. Yes, but you're in too deep now. But surely, I just remember you kind of like, you're like, put your hand on my shoulder. You're like, it's going to be okay. We'll figure this out. And then, so I then I was like, all right, crack the fucking, you know, folder here. Like, let's let's get this guy's phone number, the host. Uh-huh. I, like, I hate to do this. Yeah. But I call the guy, the ho- our host, at 3.30 in the morning. And he answers the phone. He'd been asleep too. So I feel a little bad about that. Weirdly, weirdly, he was asleep. You should feel more than a little bit. To be clear, I had sent them a, m- a bunch of messages on through the Airbnb thing. Sure. But it was past midnight. Like, yeah, there was no right, reason for them right, to Right, you have to call. Yeah. Uh, I call them. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Hi, I'm your tenant or, you know, I'm whatever your person in this you're, apartment. you or Right. Uh, I've activated the security system. There's an alarm going off. I don't, and he was like, oh, we don't use that. Uh, let me like find the code to turn it off. Like he doesn't like know it. <laughs> sure. He's like, it's written down somewhere. Yeah. So oh, he gives me God. that. So, you know, so after, you know, we do, we, we deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. Now, of course the original problem remains. We're still getting the blare. Every that still hour. is going. That's still going. It, does that seem to be only contained to the apartment you're in or is that unknown? It's at that point. Unknown. Okay. I'll reveal okay. Later okay. Great. Was. Great. Great. And, uh, he, I tell him that that's happening too, and he's like, I don't know what that is. That sounds weird. I will try to deal with, I'll try and look into that, but it's sure. 30 in the morning. I'm like, I understand. I'm so yeah. sorry. And he's I, like, I hate you. <laughs> no, he was, by the way, credit to this guy who I won't name, obviously, but like, he was really nice about it. Okay. We're done. Surely mm-hmm. you went back to sleep, right? Yeah, I did. I did kind of just like curl back up. I don't, I was, I, yeah. I, I, I think I also <laughs> finally collapsed and mm-hmm. did sleep for a couple hours. Humble crack. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> then, surely, I'm going to say it's 7, 7.30 in the morning, somewhere around there, right? Uh, I think it was earlier than Might have been earlier, 6. The sun had, yeah. s- had risen. Okay, so you maybe slept a clean 2.30. Yeah. Uh, the alarm <laughs> shifts from once every half hour to total. Total. Now, it's, now, now it's it is okay. going, okay. going, going, and then occasionally a voice will be like, fire, fire, leave building, you know, whatever. These modern fire alarms with a voice. Yeah, I remember very dumbly asking you if, like, oh, should we should we leave? <laughs> right. Obviously, one feels compelled to leave. And this is when I'm, like, poking my head. It's the whole floor is doing it. You can tell now. Sure. I'm poking my head out, not mm-hmm. seeing anybody. 
Shirley and I just kind of sit there for a while, just being like, what do we do? I think we're both kind of like, are we in Dimension X? Like, is have we both gone mad? Is this a collective madness now? We eventually go to the lobby, Shirley. We must have, right? We, yeah, well, okay. I think, hang on. I'm, I'm trying to think of the sequence of events. I think I... I said we need to find out what's going on. Sure. Like maybe we should contact Airbnb person, but then like that that wasn't very logical. And we were like, why don't we just go? I think you were the one that said, why don't we go downstairs and just find out? Right. We go to the lobby. They're like, we don't know what's going on. There's no fire. We've called the fire department. That's what I was waiting for. Okay. Yes. No. No smoke. No fire. No fire. Uh, and they're like, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, it's the whole floor. You can use like the lounge on like the 35th floor because uh-huh. this is like a fancy condo. So we go up there. I have a nice picture of us. Okay. Uh, it's a sleeping. picture of legs sleeping in the They're lobby. They're surely sleeping. I think that's kind of, no, 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 this is backwards. No, we went up there. We went up there and then we went down to the lobby. Look, it doesn't matter what the sequence is. I'm trying to verify the story. Trying to tell you the facts, which is I think we went up there first because I had remembered there was a lounge up there. Yeah. Labeled the winter lounge. Right. And then it just seemed wrong to stay there if there, I don't know, was an order to evacuate. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. We go down to the lobby. They're like, we don't know what to do. The fire department shows up. The Toronto fire department. Okay. A bunch Hotties. of friendly Canadian. Huh? Hotties? Uh, yeah, they were good looking. They weren't like, you know. calendar material sure i mean there's a reason you sat on this story for three months (laughs) (laughs) and they're like we don't know what to do which is a real moment where they're like look (laughs) this these buildings have these weird alarm systems run by private companies it's going off for some reason it was pouring outside and they were like it's probably the rain has like short-circuited something but they basically think we detect no sign of fire. Yeah, they're like, there's nothing wrong except for this alarm system is we're, we're not working and that's not our problem. They're not, they're saying it in a polite Canadian way, but they are saying it in a sort of like, you got to call the company. Yeah, they're saying there's, there's no fire. It's just raining outside. So at that point, eventually, after all this madness, surely you literally did try to sleep just like in the lobby. Uh, it was mm-hmm. all very distressing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Wendell and Wild. That's better than this. What time was the 9 a.m.? Okay. So I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yes. I'm actually going to put my clothes on. Yes. I may have even showered. No, I don't think I showered like in the fire alarm. That would have been too insane. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to put my clothes on and I'm going to walk my ass over to the light box and just watch Wendell and Wild because at least there won't be a fire alarm. True. And surely you were like, that sounds good. I'm going to retreat somewhere, right? Here's the thing, David. I don't think we've talked about. I was kind of genuinely worried about you and afraid of you at the time. <laughs> That's why it's good to have her on the phone. You, you, you were, you were the Walking Dead. Right. Like you had wrung your hands so much, they looked like they were going to fall off. I was just like, this man is going to go see a movie. Like, <laughs> he had wrung his hands to the nub. But, but seeing a movie is the only thing he knows how to do. Sure. That's the, the thing. I was just down. like, you know what? You know what? There's a movie. There's a movie. I can go in there. It's free. always a movie. And so I went in the rain to see Wendell and Wild. I got a bagel. I got a bagel and a coffee from Second Cup. Shout out Second Cup. What kind of bagel? I think it was like a plain bagel with butter. I was like, I cannot Jesus. handle a lot. Right Rough morning. <laughs> and I'm and I go to the light box and I sit down at Wendell and Wild and I'm like, look, I'm sure I'm gonna have to end up seeing this again because like Jesus, like I'm no fit state. 
Wendell at Wild starts, I'm immediately like pretty locked in, and I had a really? good experience because it is watching Wendell an Wild. incredibly dense. It's a plot very dense movie. movie, but I remember like walking into the light box, and yeah. there's there's the volunteers there, and I'm like Wendell and Wild, and they're like, yeah, you know, theater four, and I'm like, okay, but I'm saying okay to them like they're like Florence Nightingale, like yeah. I'm like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thank like you're you. checking into Benny oh, Ford. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like I, I go to the theater and they're like, yeah, yeah, just about to start. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and I sit, there's no one I know there. And I'm yeah. just sort of like, good. I don't want to deal with anyone right now. I just sit down, watch the movie. I was supposed to see The Whale next. I was I'm like, my plan was like, okay. I was going to do back to back. I walk out of Wendell and Wild. To, surely you had texted me like the alarm has stopped. Like the company came. Mm-hmm. It's over. And I was like. Okay, I'm not gonna fucking see the whale after yeah. this. Yes. Like I definitely and I went home and I finally like crashed. Wow. And that is the Airbnb story. And the guy refunded us the last night of the wow. Airbnb. Good guy. Yeah, he was good. Can I add an epilogue? You Please. absolutely can. Which is that you were you were healed by Wendell and Wilde. And during that time I had gone up to the lounge and I had curled up and I attempted to sleep a little bit more. And then this person came around being like, the alarm's fixed on that floor. You can go back down. I went back down. And my next screening was Banshees of Inisherin. Mm. And this time, by this time, I had seen my good friend David, you know, lose his mind. <laughs> During this whole time, I had continued to try to sleep. I, I felt like my soul was still in, inside my physical being. Sure. You'd held on to it. Right. I went, I got a, you know, a Tim Hortons cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I go into line for banshees and who's in a different line but our mutual friend esther zuckerman shout out Mm -hmm. and she captured the photo of when my soul finally exited my body after this ordeal you had been holding on but it finally (laughs) caught up to you and let me find the photo maybe we'll post it it's a great photo you look very cute uh but you are in line and you are in my memory looking up at the sky as if the sky may have an answer for you and it won't but you're, you know, there's clearly just this sort of like searching look in your eyes. Let me find it. This is a self-serving story, but I, I just want to provide evidence that this was an ordeal, even though you could. Sum- <laughs> Sorry, we just saw the photo. <laughs> you can summarize the story as, oh, my God, an alarm went off in our Airbnb in the middle of the night. Yeah. But it's not just that. No, that's what I mean. Something deeper, Brooke. Yeah. Shirley, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing this with us, uh, helping the story live up to its full potential. Um, can I ask, have you seen Wendell and Wilde? <laughs> I haven't. Okay. <laughs> you and the rest of America, yep. baby. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. Yeah. Just type Wendell in. I will. Yeah. It's, it's quote unquote available for free, <laughs> as people like to say about anything on Netflix, right. as if they, you don't pay, pay for the service. $19 a month for whatever. Yeah. Let's um, see how quickly it gives me Wendell. Ah, W-E-N. Okay. I will, I will watch it. Um, I'm excited to watch it. And it's been, it's been an honor hopping, hopping on, talking about the Airbnb saga. Love oh, you, Shirley. It's a pleasure. You're the best, Shirley. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye. Can I get a review of the Airbnb story after all that buildup? I think it was good. Yeah. I think it was good. But it wouldn't have been as fun if I just sort of told that story myself after like a month of buildup, right? Three months of buildup. Correct. At this, this point, is a little more fun Shirley ha- I mean, Shirley's a delight. She'll always make anything better. I do think, yes, if you had told it solo at this point, it would have been disappointing. It would have just kind of been like, oh, that sucks. 
which was basically the reaction the story gets. Like, right. You know, we need Shirley describing what you it is, looked I, like. I think it. To, right. Right. That's fun. I, yeah. I think to Torontonians, it tells a little bit of a story of like these creepy, weird yeah, condos. Yeah, I think it you was know, evocative. Yes. Look, where it's kind of like, I don't know, man. The alarm's going off. What can I tell you? Look, you you put yourself in a difficult position, which is how much you built up the expectations for the Airbnb story. Right. Where, it, you know, I think people imagine so many different things that it could be. All that having been said, look forward to the story of the Chappie deal coming two and a half years from now. Right. And, and my Michael Shannon story, which I keep forgetting to oh, mention sure. as well. Yeah, I'll just float that I'll one. just see people online say, have I missed it? When did you finally tell the Chappie deal story? Haven't yet? You haven't. You're waiting. I'll tell you when I'll tell it. The moment people stop asking about it and forget that it ever was teased. It's look, we have a few things that are in a kind of break glass in case of emergency thing. It has to be a surprise. But that is how I saw Wendell and Wyatt no, for the first time. I am impressed it played well for it you under really those circumstances. Well for me. I think I was really just like, this is not it's a story. I'm involved. I love these people. Yeah. So so you typing in W E and So W, I'll even give you the, you know, W and E. Wednesday. Well, this is what I was going to say. It's got the same first four letters as Wednesday. No, you're forgetting how Wednesday is spelt. Wednesday. Oh. So W-E-N. There you go. Wednesday drops off. I'm the one who's fucking functioning like I had an alarm last night going off. Uh, but, but that might be helping it on Netflix that it shares the same first two letters. I have to imagine. The but most we, successful television show in history. But also, I have to imagine if you watch Wednesday on Netflix, surely the algorithm's like, hey, you know, you might like Wendell and Wilde. That's another thing we got that's kind of in that zone. But when people talk about, oh, this new movie just premiered and it's not even on the front page of Netflix, a thing that's often lost is uh, Netflix has crazy algorithms and they're showing entirely different things to entirely different people. Obviously, whatever the quote-unquote empirical top 10 will be the same for everybody, but otherwise what's suggested is different for everyone. What truly astounded me is our good friend J.D. Amato saying, it has not been presented to me once on Netflix. If Netflix, right. with all the data it has on J.D. I know. over a decade, has not once thought, maybe we should put this in front of this guy, who are they recommending this movie to? They've never presented it to me. That's a stunning indictment. I agree. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, if Wednesday's a hit, they should be fucking pushing this. As a viewers also liked or recommended more films like this. Well, all I can say is, as you put it, it's available for free. Yes. To any Netflix subscriber. Uh, and uh, that is of, of an audience of 450 million people or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. How many? 250? How many subscribers is Netflix? Yeah, fucking out. Um, and uh, and it's it's a good movie. 250 million. Let's, let's dig in a little bit to this because a lot of the context of this movie is the context of Selleck's wilderness of 13 years yes. not making a film after making a triumph. That's the thing that's so weird about it. Yes. It's not like this is after Monkey Bone. No. After his most successful film. Yes. He has forever to not make another one. I, yes. Look, well, and, and a film that has lasted, that it feels like has only grown in reputation, Coraline has, it feels like firmly like planted itself in the canon. Not not some flash in the plan. They continue Pam. to fucking sell merch for it. They continue to reissue it on different fucking DVDs. The Steelbook just came out 4K. Had mine pre-ordered. But yes, in, in short, I think Laika believed that he was going to be 
their main in-house guy. He is their supervising director. Yes. And in fact, after Coraline, his stated focus is I'm going to help Chris Butler with Paranorman, our next film. Right. Which Paranorman rips. Uh, good movie. Yeah. Uh, he also had been listed uh, as the future director of a CG film called The Wall and the Wing. This is when Leica thought they were going to do half CG. Maybe we'll half, do some. Right, yeah. stop motion. Uh, that never materialized, partly, I think, because Selleck didn't want to do it, and partly because Leica dropped that idea right. of, like, and we'll I, do CG. I'm going to just uh, swing to a quick side tangent here. We talked a lot about Will Vint, Will Vint Studios, the Leica takeover in the last episode some of which we were correcting ourselves in real time as we dug into the story. There is a documentary called Clay Dream that is fucking phenomenal. I recommend to Ben. Ben watched it as well. I had sort of, I'd not avoided watching it. I knew I'd probably like it, but I assumed it was maybe more of a uh, Sparks Brothers type. Here is an unrecognized artist. Right. Yeah, Let's yeah, yeah. go through their whole career and show you all the, the gaps of it, whatever. It is mostly a documentary about the impossibility of trying to make art within a capitalist system mm. and the weird balance of people who try to become moguls in order to be able to control their artistic destiny. It, it is an incredible film. It goes so deeply into the film night like a takeover stuff. It is basically structured around videos of the depositions of the hearings years after uh, Will Vint was pushed out of the company. The story is far more complicated than we even related in yeah. that episode. Uh, I highly recommend that people watch it. It certainly provides a lot of interesting like a context, stop motion as a medium context, all of that. It only came out last year, right? It and came it was... out in 2022. Yeah, you're right. It yeah. did. It was it's, it's a phenomenal film. Right. And you also get to see all his like early short films clips and high def and, you know, it's it's great. It's such a like nice, nostalgic sort of like take take me back to being a kid yeah. like i was i was really into the california raisins i forgot i had a, like a toy and would watch the watch the show i but guess also like a, a pretty brutal unsparing look at like a country that has no support for its arts and a, a man who felt like he had to figure out how to become walt disney in right. order to keep an entire medium, an entire art form alive. He, at one point, is offered by Pixar to be bought out. And he would be given a bunch of Pixar shares. Sure. And this is right before... Things get crazy yeah, for Pixar. Things get crazy. And he says, I would own the most Disney shares if I had taken that deal. Right. He would have been the, the, the primary shareholder. He would have been yes. Steve Jobs. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Steve Jobs eventually basically takes that deal. Yeah. yeah. There's sorts of crazy. Uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal doc that I highly recommend watching supplemental material to this whole mini series. Mm -hmm. But all of this to say, the Leica takeover happens. Vinton is unceremoniously pushed out. They go after Henry Selleck, who's like the other giant of right. stop motion, at least in America, right? Yeah. Uh, Artemin is not going to be broken up. No, they got their own thing going on. Um, Coraline, uh, they they screen it at Pixar. Pixar will often have visiting yes. filmmakers screen their new movies. And Lasseter and the Pixar team flip for Coraline and they're like, you should be working for us. And then especially when Coraline comes out and is a big hit, they very quickly, with the support of Disney, go to him with the offer of like, we will let you make your own studio. You can now launch the Pixar of stop motion. 
basically what Selleck has tried to do his entire career since Nightmare of like, can I develop an actual continuing studio yes. that can be constantly working on the next film? I can be mentoring new filmmakers to take over as directors on further projects, what have you. Basically, like you can move into Pixar campus yep. in Emeryville. We will give you a wing. It's Cinderbiter Studios. It's your deal. You do what you want to do. Disney will acquire property for you. They acquire, uh, what is it, Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard? We're going to get into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting into it. This is all this stuff. But the first thing announced is the, is the Shadow King, right? Before signing with Disney, he had been choosing between three projects. An original story, which may be this, Wendell Wong. An adaptation of a Neil Gaiman book that wasn't Coraline or The Graveyard book. Okay. And an adaptation of an unnamed book that was unlike anything he'd ever made before. Okay. Lasseter brings him on. Right? Yes. Selleck pitches everything, and Disney settles on the Graveyard Book, uh -huh. which I guess, whatever, is the game and they decide he should be doing. And The Shadow King, quote, a deliciously magical tale about a nine-year-old New York orphan named Hap who hides his weird hands with long fingers from a cruel world. It sounds pretty Selleck-y. And he meets a shadow girl who makes his shadows, hand shadows come to life, and his hands become weapons in a shadow war against a monster that wants to eat New York. Once again, sounds very Selicky. It sounds very Selicky uh, in that it also sounds very hard to summarize yes. and uh, package. But and yes, a lot of what he wanted to do was, it, you know, this it, it's like Dumbo where like his terrifying, gigantic ears end up becoming this artistic gif. Yes. These giant long fingers he has make him the best shadow puppeteer in the world. And a lot of what Selleck wanted to do was combine stop motion and, like, shadow animation, cutout animation. Which sounds cool as fuck. Right. And they use some of that in this film, Wendell and Wild. They do. Yes. Um, but it enters pre-production in 2011. Uh -huh. It enters production yes. in 2012. He's set up at Emeryville. They it's roll out working. the red carpet. They give him the funding. They've announced And Lasseter, this. to be clear, he went to CalArts with Lasseter. Like, yeah. he knows John Lasseter. Yes. This is not some, like, random pairing here. No. They have history. This is also this period right before Disney starts acquiring shit like crazy, where they were like, how do we expand? And there was that uh, Guillermo del Toro Disney Double Dare You, where they were like, we're giving you your own imprint to make spooky movies. Mm. Henry Selleck, we're giving you your own animation studio. Like, they seem to be investing in people and trying to form new Pixar's artists first, rather than trying to acquire pre-existing material. Right. This is all shifting at this point in time. The Marvel deal's happening. Marvel, obviously, it's 2011, 2012, you know, everything's exploding. In 2012, The Shadow King is shut down by Disney, quote, for creative and scheduling reasons. Mm -hmm. The trades report that Selleck is just too slow to finish in time for the planned release date, 2013. Uh, and also the Graveyard book was eventually dropped as well. Disney took a $50 million write-down on The Shadow King. This is what is wild and semi-unprecedented. Yeah, Wendell, but it is wild. They basically said a year into a three-year production process. Yeah, they're like, no. Right. The, the movie is like 40% animated. Sunk cost. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. They're like, we'd rather cut our losses now than do anything to try to salvage this. Then what is even more bananas is they go, look, we will hand back to you the 40% of the movie that you have animated and the rights, and you are free to go shop it around and see if someone else will buy it. And he pitches it everywhere, and everywhere passes. There is 40% of a movie that is a follow-up to the man who directed Coraline. I know. And Nightmare Before Christmas, 
when he's like on a bit of a no hunt. he's got a, yes i mean do you think that it's because of the stink of like well jesus if pixar have done this it must there we can't touch this i do think it was like that, the there stink were, of that right like, they must have seen that this is unworkable yeah i i think it was truly like uh quality be damned is this thing ever gonna get finished right is he gonna be the most impossible to work with and deal with I think he also has burned some bridges by leaving Leica so abruptly with this sort of feeling of he left them holding the bag. He's a bit of a bridge burner. He's a bit of a bridge burner. Here's some quotes from him. Yes. He says, it was the tone, a little dark and creepy for them, and I agreed to do it for a certain budget, maybe a third or a quarter of the cost of a big Pixar film, but plenty of money. And the thing was, John Lasseter couldn't help himself. He's used to weighing in and changing and changing and changing. And we went through so many changes in the film that the budget started to creep up, up, up. Between that and the tone, they just decided to abandon ship. Now, this is Selleck's quote. Yes. I'm sure he is telling his version of the story. I don't know, you know, but he is essentially like it was sort of Lasseter's fault for, for he, tinkering. He's throwing it all at Lasseter right now. Now, this is pure conjecture on my part. Here's how I interpret that, right? Pixar is infamous for having this brain trust. Yeah. It's got like the eight or ten, like sort of. They've been there from the beginning. Doctor, and it, I mean, at this time, time, it was Doctor, Bird, Stanton, Lee Unkridge, you know, uh, uh, whoever their, their top people are at any given part. I guess that's before Brenda Chapman is maybe ousted, although Brave comes out this year. Whatever, right? Um, and they're, like, very brutal with each other. They watch these movies very critically. They suggest wild changes. And Pixar, they've openly talked about their process is essentially make the wrong movie 20 times until you figure it out. Right. It's like failure until you find success by process of elimination. It is a lot easier to reanimate rough CGI than it is with stop motion. Right. Where you, you, you can have storyboards, you get animatics, whatever, but once you're animating it, you have to go back and just do the whole thing from scratch. Whereas with CGI, the data exists, you haven't rendered it, you haven't added textures, and you could just go back in and reanimate the models that exist in those spaces. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, Selleck is, Pixar at this point has basically honed their tenets of storytelling and what works for them. And Selleck does not think along those conventional terms. And they're going, we really think in act one, this needs to be set up. So with act three, this can happen. And Selleck is basically saying, I don't take notes. He said this in other interviews, basically. Right, if he's taking notes, he's, he doesn't really like them. Right, and like, the more this, notes. This isn't then... a committee. I'm a director. I'm the director of this movie. And they were like, well, you're part of the Pixar thing now. And we all weigh in on all of this. In the various quotes JJ's gathered here, you know, he throws some blame at Lasseter for like changing, changing, changing. He's only really dug into this during the Wendell and Wild He's press been talking tour. about it during this press The last tour. 10 Obviously, years, he's been, he's been more available. quiet right. about it. Yeah. Uh, he says Alan Horn, who was in charge of Disney at the time, Disney Studios, yeah. uh, said the movie was too weird. We don't know how to sell this. Like, so he blames him too. In 2013, it was announced he'd revived it with the help of K5 International. Okay. That stalled out. Uh, who had helped make the Beast of the Southern Wild. Uh, that stalled out pretty quickly. Uh -huh. uh, Selleck says he does have the rights, you know, to this day. He says, I'll owe Disney a little bit of money if we set it up, but maybe it'll get made. I absolutely feel like it would be successful. And, uh, you know, he, uh, it exists. 40% of it. He says he has five minutes finished. Interesting. That, it's a quote from him from very recently. Okay. There may be more unfinished. Interesting. I, there's a little bit of footage that's uh, watchable online that's leaked out that looks beautiful. I mean, I have no doubt, but I also have no doubt that the man takes a long time making movies. And as you say, 
you're going to give him notes, that's only going to make everything more complicated. Yeah, I think there was a hope if this movie connected with the public that Netflix would be like, fuck it, we're in the Henry Selleck business. Let's pay Disney $2 million to get the rights back for Shadow King. Yes. That's what it sounds like. It's his, but if anyone wants to make it, then they have to pay Disney some. Some money, but hey. Amount. Right. With the Shadow King and the Graveyard Book dead, he enters a true wilderness period. Yes. Uh, at one time, Variety announced that he would be doing a live-action adaptation of the 2010 children's book, A Tale Dark and Grim. You, I, which I just cannot believe. Fizzled he would ever want to do live right. action again. Eventually, that became a Netflix series, which okay. I've definitely heard of. He has said, apparently, he might want to make, like, a live action PG-13 horror comedy. Um, and he says, like, you know, I've been looking at comedic horror films because I've been accused of being too dark, but I'm not that dark, not compared to something like Saw. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to do, like, you know, a horror film that has humor and some social satire. He may be just, like, I don't want to do CG. Yeah. And I understand that stop motion is just so fucking expensive and right. complicated and long that maybe I just need to do something else. Yeah. And uh, at one point he meets with Laika discuss doing a different Neil Gaiman book called Ocean at the End of the Lane, uh -huh. uh, which he still says he'd like to do. But that's kind of just like... Laika doesn't take him back. Well, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't it's not. Travis like Knight says, ultimately, we remain good friends. We talk about projects all the time. You know, kind of a sort of like... Sure. But it does feel telling that they weren't like, Henry, anything. Of course. You know, yeah. Yes. Uh, one last project he apparently was going to direct the pilot of a Russo Brothers series called Little Nightmares that never oh, came. Oh, that's based on a, a video, video game. game. Never came yes. together. Right. But that feels like a very selicky thing if you look at the artwork for that game. The genesis of Wendell and Wyatt mm -hmm. is apparently when his sons were little, his mm -hmm. sons are grown now, mm -hmm. Or they were acting like demons one oh, day. Boy. And he drew a little sketch of them as demons and wrote a little story called Wendell and Wild. And he came up with the basic idea that is the movie and most of the characters and he put it aside. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, years later, he was channel surfing. What's on AMC? Oh, yes. Rocky again. What's on uh, TBS? The Atlanta Braves. Boring. <laughs> more of this yeah i'm giving david the hand signal to stretch out the act out of what's on tv pick like a commercial maybe that was running at that time applebee's i'm bad at commercials because i haven't had tv in years Sham what's it huh shamwell yeah exactly and then clicks on the comedy central channel uh, okay. heard of it yes home of comedy what's their like catchphrase <laughs> they like uh, dude, we're laughing we don't pay kyle canane <laughs> they don't pay him anything <laughs> he's been going off about this online <laughs> Good for you, Kyle. Get paid. They still reuse his stuff. He sees Kim Peel, and he says he was dazzled and amazed. By the third season, he was just longing mm -hmm. to work with them. And then it hit me. Wendell and Wild, Key and Peel. Uh, he really likes the sketch prepared and, for... And? <laughs> I guess he's just like a double act. They'd be perfect to play the demons. I don't know. He likes the... Um, the sketch prepared for Terry's, which is like the guys getting on the plane with yes. the 3D printed guns. And yes. they're like, we're going to kill any terrorists. Right. And the most insane wigs <laughs> so of all insane. time. Uh, <laughs> which is really funny. And he was like, that's Wendell and Wild. Does Key and Peele premiere 2010 or 2011? Uh, I definitely remember I lived in Bed-Stuy because I remember seeing it was 2012. Okay. January 2012. Okay. And I really, you know what? I remember that's one of the last sketch shows where I was like, well, I'm watching that episode. Yes. one. Like, I never would feel that way anymore. You know what I mean? Like, when, like, Arturo Castro had his sketch show, I wasn't like, gotta, you know, cue that up. And I'm not even trying to, like, dis. I more mean, like, 
Key and Peele, I was still like, I sketch shows yeah. are exciting to me. Well, that was that was the it's final. Like a, a golden age, uh, right? A final age, whatever. Right. A diamond age. Amy Schumer and Key and Peele. Yes, there was a little bit of renaissance. I feel like there were a couple others. Yeah, there were, and, and there still are good sketch shows. I'm just. I mean, I think like, you should leave is like incredible. I think you should leave is incredible. Yeah. Black Lady sketch show, like, yeah. like, but like it just felt. Like, I guess you know what it really is. It's Portlandia like, was also that same Portlandia. time. But it's really it's that Comedy Central was still making things yes. that I was like got to check. That, that was out a good era television. for Comedy Central. It was creatively and what was a great for them was the streaming era of tv which they just shifted seamlessly into i think i probably said this on mike but the thing i heard was that they um they they made a deal for broad city on hulu yeah and then broad city like blew up on hulu unsurprisingly it, it turned out to connect far more with the hulu audience and the people who are still watching broadcast comedy central and then comedy central was like we fucked up hulu's getting rich off of our show these jerks we are never licensing any of our shows to a streaming service ever again. And then for like eight years, you'd be like, you should watch Review. It's the best comedy on TV. Right. And you're like, how, like, do, how I do I watch I wa it? Uh, the worst app in history. Right. It literally shuts down every time <laughs> right. you go to a commercial break and then you have to start the episode over again from the beginning. If you try to scrub to a later point, it goes to an episode of Tosh.0. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So there's just eight years of Comedy Central producing the best comedies on television. Really interesting stuff. And like, no one's watching. And you had to be like, what's your tolerance level for dealing with bad UIs? I mean, I tried to get through watching Detroiters because you had just like Incredible. talked it up. An so amazing much. show. I it's bought so it good. on iTunes. That's yeah. how I Every, ended I mean, up watching That's what that. I should right. end up doing because I right. got so frustrated by it. I was like, I can't fucking deal right. with this. There was a point anymore. where it's just like they have Review, Detroiters, Nathan for You, right. Key and Peel and Schumer were still like uh, tailing off. They brought City, all this yeah. incredible stuff. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, he and that new movie came out. That they did. Oh, with every actor in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love I love their current original movies. Work from home or whatever the fuck it was called. I mean, I want to I revisit that time. pandemic that, that time. time. Mm -hmm. yeah. That particular. Yeah. And I want to laugh. I want to laugh. It's a thing I look back know, on and want to laugh about. Not only do I, did, I, did I enjoy it at the time, but it was so long ago. I know. So I've forgotten about it. And you know who must be even more excited about the existence of that movie? The people who are still working from home. Where they it's not even a reminiscence, it. it's like a funny depiction of their everyday reality. I, I watched The Office, the most successful TV show of all time. The only show bigger than Wednesday. They would get canceled now. I can't Their even say I like The Office. Their asses fucking canceled. You, watch, you don't even No, it's like wild because you watch The Office and I go, I cannot believe the people writing the show thought that Michael Scott was woke and correct at every moment. They would get canceled <laughs> if they made this. Now, the whole point of this show is that they think everything he's doing is smart. It's always sunny in Philadelphia airs new episodes every season. Anytime anyone's always like, oh my God, these guys would get I mean, it's always sunny is on right now. It's a huge hit to this day. Mindy Kaling did a multi-episode arc two seasons ago. On it? Yes. Good for her. I think what, that was probably one of those things. Oh, absolutely. I'm not blaming her. I'm just context. saying every fucking episode of The Office is Michael Scott or Dwight says something you should not say. And then another character looks at the camera and says he shouldn't say that. Anyway, what was your point about The Office? Oh, just that they would get canceled today? My point was when I watched The Office, I go, this is good. The one thing I wish is that none of these actors were in the same room. At yes. the same time. No, don't give me that. The chemistry. Know, in person chemistry. It's too tight. You're right. They're reacting to each other too much. I it's not believable, that. too, that they're making a documentary. Work from home. Anyway. But, like, separate screens? I mean, that, that makes was, sense. It was one of those things where I was, like, a, you know, a year into lockdown. I was like, should I watch The Office? I mean, 
I watched all this other TV. Yeah, every put on every one time. episode. Yeah, put on the Dundies. So I was like, I'll skip. That's the same one. one I did. I put it on, and I was like, ten minutes, and I was like, do you not want to do? Yeah, with this. never have to watch this. No again. interest in this. No, no disrespect. Yeah, I was Happy just kind of like, you. don't like this vibe. Yeah, I don't need to ever watch this. Selleck likes Key and Peele. That's yes. the point of that bullshit we just did. Right. He suddenly sees. He's like, I see Wendell and Wilde in front of me. Here's right a comedy now. duo. And they'll go build a dynamic around. Here's a modern Martin and Lewis. And fuck, I mean, they've already done it in Toy Story 4. I mean, not when he's at the time, but like, you know, their voice acting has been tapped a few times, right? Isn't there something else they did? Together? Is is Toy Story 4 the only thing they did together? No, there's another thing they did together, and I'm trying to remember. Right? I mean, I just find it fascinating that, I mean, this is what we're going to get into now. But he basically just looks at them as a comedic duo and says, these are maybe stars I could sell a movie around. Right. They're comedic personas. Right. This movie takes so long to get made that the thing that keeps it in the works, that basically shields it from getting shut down at so many different points in time, is that Jordan Peele ascends to becoming... The continued involvement of major success Jordan Peele. Right. Right. Where now it gets to the point where you're like, this is maybe the last type of... They played wolves in storks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, let me give you a little bit. But but, but the the fact that this movie is now coming out and it's like Jordan Peele does not perform at all anymore. The last time he performed in any capacity was Toy Story 4 which is now three years ago, and even that was like two years removed from the previous time he had performed. Right, he doesn't perform much anymore. But, right. So this movie like comes into existence based on the idea of building a vehicle for well, them, and well, now it's... Well, well, well it's not on, just that, on, though, because, on. you know, he is a co-writer of the film. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, look. He becomes the, the co-sort of creative force. He finally gets in touch with them. Yeah. Keegan-Michael Keeley is like, you have a job for me? I can sign the contract right now. Yes. The man works a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you need me to bring my own wardrobe? Yeah, exactly. I can sell for poor local hire. I have three other things that day, but it's fine. I'll just, I'll just, I'll, get I'll just be in every place at once somehow. Yeah. Jordan Peele is like, well, hang on, you're Henry Selleck. I love stop motion animation. Yes. Monkey Paw, my company, has this beautiful stop motion uh, opening sequence. Does Monkey Paw exist at this point in time? It no, might not. It but doesn't. but you know, I, I'm just pointing that out. Yes, uh, but he is a huge Selick fan. He knows Selick by name and reputation. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, and uh, he says, like, I'd love to be this movie. Would I would love this movie to be the kind of movie I would love as a, I loved as a kid. These stop motion yeah. films, like, uh, and uh, the other thing. Oh, this is interesting. Did you know this? Mm-hmm. Originally, the story was about the nuns. And Sister Helly, played by Angela Bassett in this mm-hmm. film, was the protagonist. Okay. And Jordan Peele was like, Cat should be the protagonist. Yes. This movie should be identifiable to kids. Yes. It'll be more accessible that way. I mean, this is the whole thing of Henry Selleck where he's like, you know, Lasseter, always meddling with me. Metal, metal, metal. Anyway, with Monkey Bone, I wanted every character to be a 60s, you know, retired pitch man. Yes. And uh, with Wendell and Wilde, I figured the lead character would be a middle-aged nun, not the teen, the plucky teen. And Jordan Peele gave me that note. And as he says, it took a while to convince him, but he was eventually convinced. It's the easiest note in the world, Henry Selleck. It's wild. I also think the movie was more really about the demons at earlier points in time. Yeah. That that cat was incidental. She still served the same function in the narrative. But Peel was like, why aren't we asking questions Why would about, this not be the protagonist? She's interesting. Yes. 
and here's the here's another and, and this is the story of Henry Selleck. I swear to God, here he is undeveloping the script with Peel. It was a back and forth. I would take a stab. He would rewrite. He was more big picture, big story. He would get into the details of characters. Sounds like writing, but okay. <laughs> Dramatic storytelling. Uh, it kind of went like that. Occasionally, he would take the first pass on a new thought. Here's the quote. He was really good at dealing with studio notes. He would calm me down. Yes. He just really needs a guy who's like, I have some clout and I, you like me and I understand you. So I can kind of like, it's like, hey, uh, they don't want the movie to have the Esso Tiger in it. And Henry Selleck is like, I'm opening a vein. I'm opening, I'll, I'll fucking shoot you. He had and he's like, hey, calm down, calm down. Calm down. Hey, wait, maybe, maybe we can figure this out. Maybe the Esso Tiger doesn't need to be in it. He had Burton doing that for him on I the first movie. I haven't that monkey punk. It's, I know you're obsessed with it. Yes. Uh, he had uh, Burton, Burton doing that for him to a far lesser degree on the second movie. Yeah. Then Monkey Bone, he's got no one. and it's He like, had Bill Mechanic and the Bill Mechanic was right. gone. So right. then yes. during the actual miss of making the movie, it's chaos. Right. And then Leica, it's like, here's like the biggest independent animation studio that is just going to be hands off and let you do whatever the but fuck. But Coraline is the most interesting one where you're like, you know what? It does seem like he was pretty unfettered and yep. that is his best film. So maybe I should go fuck myself and maybe sure. Henry Selleck is right all the time. But it's just things when you hear like Jordan Peele being like, hey, the girl should be the protagonist of the film. Right. Henry Selleck being like, wow, you're crazy. I guess we'll figure it wonder, out. Look, I, I'm sure. <laughs> like, Jesus. I am sure there was validity to the idea that like um, the Pixar brain trust was looking at Shadow King in, if not a binary way, through the prism of what had been successful for them and trying to get them to conform to their same storytelling sort of uh, uh, principles, which this is the same time that the Brave thing goes down. It's the same thing where they're just like, she's like, I had this very personal story, and they kept on saying, this is not how we do Pixar movies. Right. You know? Like, this is when the brain trust is starting to fall apart a little bit, and it feels like they're meddling too much, good dinosaur, all this short of, sort of shit. Like that been said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Bodied. Bodied. Uh, Kenny Rogers roasted. Um, it, there's the credit at the end of this film based on the book by Henry Selleck and it's credited to a co-writer. The book was never published. Yes. If that book exists in any form, I'm unaware. I could not find, I was like scared no, I mean, to see like, if anyone I'm, had I leaked it online. I don't even know if he has the book. No. And it, when you hear him talk about it, it felt very sort of amorphous. Uh, I would love to hear a more detailed accounting of like, what did Selleck have going in? What did Peel specifically pitch? I, I feel strong elements of both of them. I think Selleck, well, here, I'll give you a little more. I think Selleck basically just had uh, the character. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what it seems like, because he did nine drafts with Peel. Yeah. Uh, you know, they get all it together. Um, the real world message of the film about the prison industrial complex, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about a little more, I'm sure. Um, Selleck credits... Uh, a, a movie for kids. Yeah, right. right. Uh, Selleck credits a lot of that to his wife... Okay. who for 10 years was an advocate for at-risk youth and special needs kids. I know about that pipeline. There was a lot of research done, but it was really about boiling that down to the essence, and Jordan was always good about that. But it's like, that's, that's not a Selleck idea per se, or even a Jordan Peele idea. Like, Selleck sure. sort of drawing from his wife on that. But it was in the soup. Yeah, it was in the soup from right. immediately. And this sort of attempted revitalization of a town. and yeah. Right. And yeah. then uh, in case of Cat and her look, it was influenced by Afropunk you know, modern movement that goes all the way back to the original, you know, punk movement, he says, uh, but Jordan and me just really liked the look. You know, we really wanted her to look distinctive, all that stuff. We should talk about the soundtrack too later. We it's were. pretty fucking great. Um, then was jamming out. Hell yeah. And uh, Netflix, the whole thing with Netflix is, I will say that I do hear this from a lot of filmmakers. 
the once you get the green light, they are yeah. kind of like, okay, you know, go do it. It took a long fucking time. Right. When does Netflix announce this movie? That's a good question. I'm sure I can find it. I'm not sure I'm when. 15 or 16? Yeah. It looks like the most crucial thing they cleared with Netflix initially though, uh-huh. was that the film will get a PG-13 rating. Right. He wanted to... Like, they yes. wanted to, like, lay out, like, can we make this film kind of, quote-unquote, grown up enough? Yeah. You know? Uh, and Netflix was okay with that. This is an odd case of a movie that feels like it's PG-13 just in sort of, like, thematic and intellectual intensity. Right. There's not really anything objectionable that happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's more of an attitude thing. Yes. Right. Film was made in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. Uh, the most prominent reason for the long production project, I'm reading here that there was some kind of, like, pandemic due to a novel coronavirus. I'm aware of this, but I still think there was they a, shut a, down for a longer than usual development time on this movie from like the floating of Selleck and Peel are working on something to star Key and Peel to Netflix has acquired it to animation is actually starting was like four or five years versus what's maybe usually a year, a right. year and a half. Yeah, I mean... It took a while. Apparently, the wildfires messed with them, apparently. It felt a little shadow kingy where you're like, are we just going to hear at some point that this thing just got shut down quietly? Right. And then they finally start animation. The pandemic starts. They shut down. And then the sort of uh, bananas thing about this film is most of this film was animated remotely. Like animators moved sets into their homes and were in isolation working on their own sections. That's bananas. Yeah. Selleck, post-Coraline, is getting more and more hostile to 3D animation. He doesn't like how slick and perfect it is, he says. Sure. He said Coraline was maybe a little too smooth, and he wanted to go a bit backwards and show off the artifice with this movie, he says. As we mentioned... Leica has just started cleaning up more and more and more and using more digital aid in these things. They He keeps the seams in the faces the entire movie. uh, Right, that's one thing. I think that's become industry standard to erase. And those are the seams from the replacement faces to swap out the expressions. Correct. Yeah. Bill Knight apparently really hated the seam lines, is one thing Selleck said. So, like, that's I one. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's one reason he gets to do it like, now, now that he's free of the Knight Why wouldn't family. you stitch that over um, with a Nike swoosh? <laughs> <laughs> Why won't you pay a child to do that? What? Oh. Uh, uh, okay. Bad guy. Watch Clay Dream. It does not make <laughs> him seem very endearing. Or his right. dumbass son. Um, as you've mentioned on his previous episodes, yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, Selleck is kind of bringing the artwork of Tim Burton to life. Yes. James and the Giant Peach, you got Lane Smith. Coraline, we talked about uh, Tadahiro Usagi. Yes. Um, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, right. Wendell and Wild, Argentinian artist Pablo Lobato yes. is the big inspiration for the look of a lot of these guys. Uh, you can Google him if you want to sort of like get a sense of it. Yes, his Instagram page has a lot. His work is most known through The New Yorker. I think it is The New Yorker, right? He does a lot of illustrations for their profiles or their reviews. Sure. So, like, he does a lot of these uh, caricatures, uh, but he's got a very unique style that's sort of a Picasso, very shape-based, almost cutout style that is inherently very two-dimensional. Right. Very flat. And it's like Selleck almost perversely picks a design language that he loves that should not be, it should not be possible to adapt into three dimensions. 
and goes to his modeling teams and goes like, here are Pablo's flat drawings. Figure out how to build this. Yes, which he does say was quite challenging to yes. do. Um, but the initial thing they do is they take these caricatures of Key and Peele themselves. Right. And they turn them into puppets. Yes. And they convince Key and Peele, like, isn't this good? Because Key and Peele were apparently like, we don't know if we want to, like, you know, be represented in the film basically as ourselves. Especially at this point in time, you're like, that's the selling point. No one knows it's the selling point of from the twisted mind of Jordan Peele or right. whatever. It's Key and Peele as a comedy duo. You also have to remember, at this point in time, everyone assumes Key and Peele are just going to become, like, a comedy movie team powerhouse. Like, there was this expectation of, like, Keanu, great. They'll make their first movie. It probably will work. And then there'll be a new Key and Peele movie every two or three years. They felt more suited to making that kind of leap than anyone in a while. Right. It is funny that, like, Keanu ends up being kind of here, neither here nor there, and Peele immediately just pivots to, like, you know what? I'm going to make the movies I've always wanted to make. Right. And, like, gives up on performing. And now Keanu and Peele's a comedy duo only exists in animation because animation takes so long. It's, like, right. the vestiges of things over. they put into work. Yeah, I don't know seven what years the status of their relationship is. They seem to still be They did good press terms. for this movie together. It, like, but it, it is interesting... Yeah, I just always wonder with that kind of a thing. Of course. Where it's like, hey, one of you became one of the most celebrated artists alive. And right. the other one of you is Keegan-Michael Key, who's like the doing hardest fine. working man in show like, But like, Doesn't what is have that the same. Like? Yeah. yeah. No, it's odd. It's odd. Mm. I just, I, it just felt, especially because the show was so cinematic. Yeah. Well, that was always what was so magical about it. Right. Or like, at least plausible about them making movies. Right. The, I, I just, I think it felt like, well, obviously these guys will make a bunch of films. Their natural chemistry when they do the wraparounds, the bumpers are so good. Yeah. I would watch these two guys playing versions of themselves. I'd also watch them playing characters. I could watch them in a genre riff. I could watch them in a low-key buddy comedy. Whatever it is. And now it's like, here's this movie where Selig is almost weaponizing. Like, we have to make the characters caricatures of them almost like it's the incredible mr limpet or something where you're like their face needs to be on screen i and i'm sure you'll agree with me. it's so interesting the way it looks two-dimensional and three-dimensional at the same time yes. like especially with them well they go through different stages different that's, puppets that's right when yeah, they're yeah. on a, a buffalo um a bezel what's his name um belzer buffalo belzer when they're like on his head on his belly they're purposefully making the heads of the puppets as flat as possible. Right, right. And then when they come into the real world, they become more three-dimensional. They were kind of, Lou Romano, who everyone must know from, uh, you know, didn't he work on... He was Linguini and Linguini, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah. But he's also one of the best sort of character designers, right. uh, art directors in animation. He worked on The Incredibles and all kinds of stuff. Worked on Iron Giant, has worked with Selick before. Right, particularly because of The Incredibles, which has that similar kind of like 2D, 3D thing, yes. you know... They were like, you'll be perfect for him. They were inspired by things like wooden masks, African masks, you know, Absolutely. stone carvings. Yeah. That all makes sense. I think you see a lot of that with uh, with Cat's parents. Yes, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, they do use a little CG uh, just, I guess, to make some of the stop motion, like, execute a little simpler. I don't know. It's sort of, sort of vague what they used to a minimum. He's not trying to cover up the imperfections of this medium. He's trying to embrace them. Uh, they find Lyric Ross. She's on This Is Us. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know. He really wanted someone who is not like too Disney, I think. Sure. Which I, I think successful in that right. regard. Yeah. 
And, you know, this movie has an interesting cast. We'll talk about it now. Yeah. Got Key and Peele. But less of a vehicle for them than you would imagine. Right. I thought they were going to be yes. all over this thing. Absolutely. But they are prominent, obviously. They are, Angela they're Bassett. Of, they're Beetlejuicy in the movie in that it's like, well, it's really about Lydia. Yeah. Right. And they're in it. Yes. They're yeah. the most colorful characters. Right. Yeah. And then you have like Angela Bassett is a big name, but then I would say pretty much, and Ving Rhames as, as Buffalo Bells are, yeah, which I, I love Ving Rhames. Fucking wolf whistled in the theater when his name came up at the end. A hundred percent. But then after that, I feel like he's mostly using character actors like yep. James Hong, Maxine Peake, David Harewood. James Hong, fascinatingly, the other one who is caricatured off of him. He kind of looks like James oh, Hong. Oh, it absolutely yeah. Yeah, 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 looks yeah, like yeah, James yeah. Hong. And it feels like he's, yeah. It's a big, complicated movie. It is. Look, I, I feel like this is one of those episodes where people are going to be like, they're pretending to like this movie because they don't want to end on a bummer, right? And the reality is, I think all three of us really like this movie a lot. However, in talking about this movie, it is kind of hard to not make it sound bad because there are a lot of ways in which I think this film ultimately works in spite of itself mm. because it does a lot of things that on paper sound catastrophic just in terms of being so dense and so plot-heavy that essentially it has to spend the first two-thirds of its running time setting up there are everything. about this movie while I was watching it the first time that I was just like, did I? I didn't know I had entered on time. I was like, did I miss a yes. scene? Was there something explaining who Belzer is or why they live on him? Because well, it's this weird contradiction of like, it's both moving so fast yeah. and also an hour and 15 minutes in, you're like, I still think the plot hasn't yeah, gotten into I, motion. I guess the stakes are almost set up now, like right. kind of. And I, I'm watching and going, look, this is visually a thrill. It's full of fun ideas. I'm happy he got to make another movie again. Obviously, this thing is a mess. And then there's truly just the point, like two thirds in where it clicks and he basically like, Lays it out. And everyone's table. there. Everyone's Dive now it. ready. Like, and, and you're used. like, you know what? Every single character he set up now serves an important function. Every plot thread he set up, every visual idea he set up, like everything does ultimately pay off. Yes. But it does feel like a movie, unlike his earlier films. Yes. Forgetting Monkey Bone, that like a kid could maybe not grapple with. Absolutely. You'd need to pretty much be a teenager, maybe just below, you know, like 10, 11, 12. Like, if I put this in, you know, a six-year-old in front of this, I feel like they would just lose interest. I think so, because too. Because it's all, like, there's just so many new things, and it's sort of hard to, to tell how it's connected. And even the stuff like Wendell and Wilder, the characters that would appeal most to a kid, yeah. visually in terms of energy, comedically, and all of that, your introduction, you're just like, as an adult, it is hard to parse. Okay, they live on the head of a giant demon man who is their father, his belly is a theme park for dead souls. Yes. Their job is he's insecure about his hair loss. So they have to rub magic hair cream into his skull. Correct. In order to grow his hair back. And then they realize that the magic hair cream has the ability to bring the dead back to life. Because it is the, the cure for baldness we don't have in our society that fully brings things 100% back to life that are dead. It can be used not just on dead hair cells. It can be used on full living creatures. Any soul that has died. But here's the other thing. And all forgetting. of that is communicated, like, just hit the ground running. But you're forgetting something. Yeah. Not just all that. They secretly harbor a desire to make their own amusement Correct. park. And that's sort of their quest. Right. Their reason for wanting to leave Belzer's hair and or chest. Also, the reason they realize that 
the hair cream has the ability to bring the dead back to life is because uh, Wendell is Peel. Wendell is key and okay, wild, wild is Peel. Wild has been eating the cream because it gets him high. Yeah, it makes him feel all tingly. It makes his tummy feel all tingly. Right. Um, yes, incredibly complicated. Yes. Now, now the and obviously part- Wild is a sort of like round and sort of cheerful guy. And Wendell is kind of wiry and a little more antagonistic. Manic. Yes. And Wendell's got it. What's interesting is it's like the same dynamic because it doesn't feel like this was the default dynamic they had on the show. No, they would switch. I mean, right. They were good at it. Yeah. Toy Story 4 gives them basically the exact same dynamic where the one guy's the motor mouth, high strung idea man we got to do this and the other guy's kind of like the good-natured stoner they're so funny in toy story 4 i think they're so funny it, those characters work so well those and when that first fucking teaser came out it was them doing the you were like, oh, Jesus shit, Christ. You were like come on is this what this fucking movie's gonna it, be it wasn't anything wrong with what they were doing you were just sort of like that's all they've got is just like they're literally just adopting it's and key and peel right. i'm like i can watch key and peel like why do i need this D- ducky and bunny hit they're really funny. And I think they're funny in this too, but it also starts out and you're like, wait, so they're the villains in this? That's kind of surprising to make them the villains. Does that limit how funny they can be? And then the more the movie goes on, you're like, they're kind of innocence. Yes. They're they're not innocent. Like they they do bad No, but they're things. they're babes in the wood. They don't really know what they're doing. Absolutely. Right. Unlike Beetlejuice, who like operates from a place of like pure malevolence, right? And Beetlejuice is the classic, like, don't make a bargain with a demon. Of like, course. That guy has his own ulterior motives. Right. They do too, but their ulterior motive is to make an amusement park. This is the thing. <laughs> like, I, that's I what think, they really want to do. I think this is one of the many things Henry Selig is trying to work through in this movie is like they are artists. Right. right? Yes. They have this vision of this they have thing these they paper want to cutouts. Do. Right. Yes. Yeah. When they talk about it, it's about how much other people will enjoy it. They want to share this with other people. But unfortunately, their chosen artistic medium involves so much financial capital. Yeah. That the only way to get the thing made is to make Faustian bargains with horrible people. You have to align yourself with the worst institutions, old money sort of cover your eyes and not look at like who's getting thrown into the the furnace in order to allow your funding to go through, right? Yes. That's this whole thing. They start like aligning themselves with these horrible cultural forces because they're like, but ultimately the theme park will make people happy, right? It's worth it if, and it's like, this is being made by a guy who is his chosen artistic medium is so expensive. Yeah. So time and labor intensive. Right. That the ask is so huge right. to get it off the ground. There's always going to be something the, vaguely You're going to have to make a deal with the devil in some way. To or some other. degree. Yes. Yeah. So you got well and wild. Uh-huh. They're eating magic hair cream. They want to make an amusement park. They live inside someone's hair. It does really sound like we're just saying gibberish. Right. I mean, and they were the thing, especially in those early scenes, where I truly was just sort of like, I mean, remember, I hadn't slept, yeah. but I was like, I I I must have missed something. Like, well, especially as a rule lover, like you're just like, yeah, I don't get it. What is this? And it's also been enough time since Selk that I think I forgot. Like Henry Selk films always have an underworld. Yeah, that's just accepted. We don't need to even think about the fact that there's an underworld. But this is why it's all the more disorienting. Is because let's back up like seven minutes. The first seven minutes of this film are like about as grounded as Selk ever gets. Yeah, I mean. Is it seven? Really? The whole, you mean her family like yeah. that? Is it that long? I was scanning. Yeah, okay. I watched yeah. it again last night. Me yeah. too. 
I think it's about seven minutes before the the proper introduction of Wendell and Wilde on the head, yeah. right? Because uh, you start with the cold open in the car. The car crashes into the water. She's listening to X-ray specs on the radio. Yeah, yep. I mean, the whole fucking soundtrack is absolutely amazing. Wall-to-wall punk soundtrack, uh, basically. Cat, yes. uh, uh, her parents own a root beer brewery in yes. Rust Bank, right? right? That's the name of the town. This kind of like incredible revitalized town with this active art scene, right. local businesses. And yeah. Uh, and she sees a worm, a two-headed worm in her apple. Yeah. But they're at the like, celebration fair. of like, look, the fair, every, this town works. We've done it. We brought such life. We've created a community. They've referenced the buyout in this opening to... The Clax Corp. Yeah. Yes. Right. And her surprise at the... Oh, she yells. The dad gets distracted. They drive off the bridge. The parents die. She the blames classic, herself. A kid blames themselves. Yes. Very rolled doll. Right. She is now an embittered, punky... Juvenile delinquent. The opening credits happen over her escaping from the car, rising to the surface. Her parents are dead at the right. bottom of the scene. And then she right. names her demons, and then we meet her demons. But then it's like she's going right, to... Right, but then, then she says in the narration, like, everyone has their demon, mine have names. And yes. you're like, I'm sorry, where do the demons come into this? Then you go back to, like, family friend driving her in a van to the girls' school that she has to go to. They take her out of uh, a juvie, right? Picks her up and basically is like, this is your last chance. You have to make this work. I made a promise to your parents. Uh, She shows up at this school. All girls Catholic school. Uh uh, Run by an elderly Asian priest played played by by James Hong, Hong, who's always walking on a treadmill. Great performance. He's really Really funny in this. Really funny. I love him in this. I mean, I think he's just always so funny. Arguably the true villain of this movie. Well, no, the Clax oh, Corp no, guys. The Clax. He's way up there, though. Well, but he's kind of, he sort of is like just a more advanced thing where he's like, he just wants his, but he's so in bed with bad people he to keep his school running. Right. Permit anything. Uh, yeah. And she is sort of like, they're getting money for her to go to the school, right? Like it's sort Correct. of part of it. Like, you know, she's like a, almost like a work release. Which is all, I mean, it, it's, it ties into the whole thing this film wants to say about for-profit prisons and everything but yes this school is like the last part of this town that is in any way alive and even they are basically hemorrhaging money and by taking in this uh, juvenile delinquent they they accept money as you know whatever right yes. to be her guardians in yes. a way um cat meets three preppy girls uh-huh. the main one is called siobhan mm-hmm uh, she's voiced by Tamara Smart, who's uh, on The Worst Witch and other okay. various things. Um, but she is the daughter of the Claxons, uh-huh. who are the heads of this private prison company that run the David town. Herr, what a great performance playing Black Trump. Uh, yes, uh, Lane Black Claxon. And uh, Maxine Peake, uh-huh. who I think a lot of people in Britain would know. She's in Shameless. She's in Dinner Ladies. She's in lots of things. Incredible uh, she character designs on these Yes, three. She is sort of the Joanna Lumley character design yes. like you know again yes. he loves a long spindly woman right there's always, jennifer saunders there's right always you know, the you know. ghoulish woman over made up overly right. made up right yeah they like cat because partly because cat saves one of them from a falling brick like yes. by the the, co- the, the three right. the three young girls yes, yes. which raul knocks up one who is a, a a trans boy who goes to the boarding school and is sort of isolated away from everyone else he's he's separate but right yeah. but like what I, I just kind of like that, like, they're not bullies, really. Yeah. They're kind of like, hey, welcome to Click. And Cat's like, not interested. She's disgusting. Right. I don't right. want to do it. Right. But I like that they're, like, basically I friendly. 
and I, I think this whole like it's it's similar to the sort of the boredom sequences in Coraline where uh everyone's kind to cat. Right? Yes. There's just this as prickly very as she quiet is. sadness. She has a cool boombox with a big eye on it. was her it. dad's boombox. Very cool. That this family friend is getting back to. This ben, is also- surely you love this boombox with a big bloodshot eye on um, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's right. like so fucking customized and fucking like the the era of boomboxes when it was like, you know, huge and it was like a statement that you would walk around I with. I love that, like, that's the family heirloom. Yeah. You know, it's not right. like she's got to lock it with her parents and or whatever. It's like her dad's cool, customized, painted boombox. And just like his, his cassette that's tapes right. his collection. of his like punk, like very specific 80s new wave. You have two X-ray spec songs. You have X as well, right? Uh, there's, um, I just had the soundtrack yeah, yeah, brought up here. here. Okay, so you have Death, Freaking Out. Right, Death. I'm sorry, I was thinking of Death. Yes. Um, you have The Specials, the Ghost specials Town, which classic. rules. Uh, Fishbone. Fishbone, of course, which also, uh, they there's a, f- a lot of Fishbone sort of merch featured throughout. Right. The t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, TV on the radio for the big final sequence. Of course. There. Yes. And there's even uh, some newer bands, too. The one I want to shout out, Special Interests, a mm. great band. Mm. Their song, Young, Gifted, Black, and Leather, fucking rules. Uh, yeah, it's killer. It's really good. This is the thing, though, Griffin. It's yeah. like the amount of characters, because it's like, she goes to the school. Who's at the school? James Hong is the administrator right. of the school. Angela Bassett is a kindly nun at the school. Yes. There's three girls who are kind of a clique. Then there's, um, you know, uh, Raul, who yeah. is is separate from them, but is also becomes friend to Kat. There's the old Jewish demonologist in the basement. Correct. Played by an Israeli actor named Igal Naor. And a puppet that Manberg. feels specifically modeled after late period Marlon Brando, right, I or stop something like about that. It's how such much a distinctive he looks like, look. Yeah, perfect example when the when um Hallie the nun goes yeah. to Hallie uh, goes to see him, and she's like, "Come on, you know, like I know you need to collect your thing." And I'm just right. like, Whoa, "Again, did I miss something? Was this addressed? Who is this?" It feels like if in the opening, this is Halloween sequence of Nightmare Before Christmas, instead of being a song, it was ten minutes of dialogue across eighteen scenes where they tried to set up each of the denizens of the town as if they had an important plot function. And you're like, "Why am I tracking the melting man in the suit?" And then here are some other rather kids. than him yes. just being a fun 100%. background exactly. character. Everyone's being put like uh, given a sense of importance that you cannot understand. Raul's mother, Mariana, yes. who's voiced by Natalie Martinez, is like convinced. Right, they cut out to her with her fucking yes. She's convinced red yarn. Like, the Claxons burned down the root beer factory years yeah. ago, and she's trying to figure that out. And she's like on the city council or whatever. Yes. Then there's the character you mentioned before. I think her name's Miss Hunter who's played by Tantu Cardinal. A really good performance. Yeah, yeah. who's, uh, you know, uh, she's, um, you know, First Nations uh, from Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, she's sort of floating around. She's like an old friend who's there to right. help out. There's just, like, this vast web of characters who are all somewhat connected. And even later, you introduce, like, the doctor who's on the board, along with Raul's mom, and then, like, the the dead... Uh, well, then uh, we'll get to that. Right. Yeah, the dead council it's a, people, It's a lot. Right. But, like, so when you cut to... Buffalo Belzer's head seven minutes in. Right. It's almost disorienting now to have the movie slow down to like Henry Selleck pure vibes where you're like, now this movie's operating on like... It's breakneck. Yes. No, no, it is. 
because up until this point, it's been very plotty. And Selleck is not a plotty filmmaker. He's so much more about mood and characters. Yeah. Uh, and I think his he tells stories. His stories have movements, but he's not really concerned about plot mechanics by and large, right? Like we talk about something like James the Giant Peach is very picker-esque, right? Nightmare Before Christmas has like one major objective that everyone's no, right. in on. And then this is just so much plot. Right. It's where you're just like, has he fucking lost it? Because we haven't even gotten to that, like, she then gets a skull on her hand, which is a well, sign. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, it's already complicated. Yes. And then on top of it, you're supposed to get your head around how this demon relationship works. Right. Which right. is really complicated and not anything like you've heard before. It's not like even like pulling no, it's from, not from reference material no, in any way. she's a hell maiden. Yes. Which is a thing you can be. Yes. And that comes with a unique power, uh-huh. but that's different for everybody. Yes. A skull on your hand. Uh-huh. And a connection to the underworld of some sort. Right. So now she has these designated demons. Which she doesn't know about. Right. But they know about her all of a sudden. Right. And Wendell Wilde didn't force this connection. No, the they portal... just identify her when they're like in a dream with right. her. Right. Basically opens up and then they go, oh, we could use her to our ends to help make our theme park thing a reality. Well, no, you forget. It's the Bell's bear. Then she steals a right, stuffed the bear. Because the bear is like some kind of weird possessed connection to the demon world. She like burns the hand on the bear. Yeah, it yeah. is funny. It is like, funny. Anytime, like there's a couple times the camera like zooms in on the bears in passive. It's kind of funny. Yeah. But like she summons Wendell and Wilde using the bear and her hell powers. Yeah. There's that great shot of them like coming up from underneath and then like they go like you know like that yes. like, like oh, this like so thing good. comes down and it right. like diverts them like they're like a well that happens hill. later that's when they're actually rising up to the level that's what I'm saying she gets them she summons but them but there's that conversation the first time she has the conversation they're like in a them. dream right and yeah. it's like I, I think what they've done is built giant puppets of just their heads because it looks like the faces are articulated rather than it being like replacement face animation it looks like there's a giant rubber face and they are individually animating the lips and things like that. They look humongous. I know when they, at the end of the movie, they're all in Buffalo Belzer's hand. Yes. They built that to scale. Yeah. So they're not cheating and putting like smaller versions of the characters in a smaller hand. The hand is like 15 feet tall. And you see some in the credits, yes. some of the, you know, classic behind the scenes stuff of like those big puppets in the hand. Which is incredible. Head, which yeah. is really cool. Do you see the post-credits thing where she's like it's the great. animator's desk? Yeah, it's really cute. But that's the weird work from home thing. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yes, they rise up. They basically realize we have this cream. Right. They promise we will revive your parents. We have that power to her. That's that's how they're that's well, how right. they get First it. they right. say to her, like, help us start our amusement park. She's like, You need to help bring my parents back to life. They're like, we can't do that. She's like, the no deal. They realize they have the cream. Right. They're going to get in trouble if they use it. There's the whole sequence where they put it on the bug that's squashed and they keep, yes. like, reconstituting the bug. Fun. Very fun. But your brain is switching between, like, left brain, right brain shit. Because mm-hmm. anytime you're caught up in the world of the town, it's very literal. <laughs> it's, it's very, like, angry, political, pointed stuff. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's a trans character, and so it's, like, there's just a lot of different, like, the themes and topics going on. Versus yes. when we're in the underworld, it's like crazy cartoon logic, flights of fancy, Henry Sullivan caught up on visual ideas. Like, all I, which I love. It just me too. Jarring. But I'm like, who is Buffalo Belzer? Right. What is his role in like 
the spirit world, right? If anything, or is he just chilling? Here's the thing: we don't ask these same questions of someone like Oogie Boogie. No, because he's the boogeyman. Yeah, it also helps that like Night Before Christmas doesn't start with ten minutes of like the political infrastructure of a <laughs> well, small town. But this is the whole thing. Is I, like, I want to make it clear: I like this movie. Me a too. Lot. But it is. I had forgotten, and you know, and then I rewatched the movie. I'm like, yeah. right, the whole city council plot. Yes. Right. The movie begins with her parents dying, but then when we return to her, there are characters who are like, in the intervening years, the factory burned down, and we want to deal with that. I'm like, why do I care about this? This town has died. There are no way. But it's just... all part of this sort of like, right, this civic loss. Yes. Like, this town was good. Now it's bad. It's been taken over by this prison, this private prison company. Is it sort of trying to be like, Detroit adjacent ish is that what we feel like? Maybe I don't because I don't. I, I just it's hard again to like read. I said. I think there are like, many examples. He said like my Steel wife town, works for that sort of like Rust Belt. I maybe. just because like the whole idea is like Cat is sort of maybe on the road to like oh she'll end up in one of these private prisons right? She's a juvie right. already. She's on this sort of like no one's going to help her. And the she system is stacked. Is to caught do up this. in the headspace of I'm doomed. Who should save me? I I don't deserve to be saved. Like even when people reach out a helping hand to her, she's like I'm a fucking lost cause. Absolutely. But yes, the, the the brief glimpse of the town you get at the beginning of the movie feels like a utopia. It was once right. Yeah. Right. And then it, it is this notion of like, what systems in place stopped this? Why wasn't this allowed to thrive? Why wasn't this allowed to exist? So first they revive James Hong's character, Father Best, who has been murdered by the Claxons. Yes. For getting too close to their, they kill him early. Like in an insane, quick, yes. like without thinking about it too much way. Right. Right. Like they're playing golf with him and then they kill him because he was the last witness to the factory fire and they drown right. him. Right. Wendell and Wilde bring him back to life and then What's paint- the thing they need him to approve where he makes the crack about, well, you're not going to get those votes unless we, the, those members come back to life of the board? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever remember. their newest construction. They need something. The bigger prison. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. yeah. But he plants that idea. And again, in the middle of all this, it's been established that Cat is a hell maiden. It's been established <laughs> that there's a guy in the basement of the school who hunts demons and puts them in bottles. This movie is just basically for the first 15 minutes saying, let's just put a pin in this and we'll come back to it. Yeah, right, 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 right. Over and over and over again. And you're starting to go like, Henry, Guys, too much. I'm the, looking the, at a lot of pins on the wall. I, and it's like, <laughs> I'm holding a plate with a lot of drinks and it's yeah, wobbling. Right. They bring back Father Best. They paint uh, his face with makeup, which is funny. Really funny. Uh, he is a living corpse, but he is basically himself. Yes. Sort of works. Yeah. I love how when he comes back, he's like, yes, I've returned. Yes. I'm here again. Don't worry about it. Like, and and it's just very silly. And it's starting to get more fun. Yes. You know, like now we're getting into it. Because now it becomes the thing of reviving the dead. They realize in talking to him, they're not going to be able to uh, open their theme park unless they get approval. Yeah. To build on the land. Right. Which they, they can only they do to need the, the, the dead board members. The, the, they need to the revive council. the dead members of the city council. Yes. And the Claxons are like, well, we need them for our thing, but they can also vote for your thing. Right. And so Wendell and Wilde are like, okay. And so they bring them back, and it's very funny. Yes. Because they are old beyond old skeleton they're skeleton people and they're all different one of them's like a fucking admiral yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. they all right. have different yeah. outfits yes 
Uh, and it's such a clever idea. It's an idea that makes me laugh so much. Yes. Like, what if you brought back New York's city council from, like, the 18th century? Yes. And there was someone was like, well, there's nothing in the book that says they aren't, you know, voting members. I guess they have to be listened to. It's funny. It's very funny. Where's Kat in all this? Kat also makes them swear some kind of bond to her. Yeah. Kind of by mistake. Well, she's trying to revive her own parents. I know. But they're not dealing with that. No. <laughs> it's sort of hard to keep the friend. Raul needs to be her witness. And there, there's or things I guess like to revive that. Wendell and Wilde. That's what she needs but it's like for. sometimes they'll just throw out a piece of information where you're like, and you need a witness. And it's like, right. oh, why? <laughs> but yeah. I understand but why okay. you're doing this. All right. right, whatever. You need another character to that's be there. That's the thing. No, that's the thing. When she revives them, that's the whole thing. They get diverted yes. by that weird thing right. that I was saying. Right. And they, so they, they don't pop show up, up in the wrong place. She doesn't interact. So with she them. doesn't even yes. see them. Right. They bring back Best. Then they bring back the council members. The council members start to cause havoc. Yep. But then Raul steals the cream, yes. seeing how it works, right. Right. and right. revives her parents himself. Right. Raul witnessed all of it happen because Raul is on the top of the, the building, on the top of the church or whatever. I mean, this is... Our, our friends at Podcast the Ride just did an episode on the Kingdom Hearts franchise. Did they? Oh, I should listen to that. It's really great. Yeah. And they, uh, despite being like theme park people and Disney, you know, people obsessed with the Disney company, all this sort of shit, had never touched Kingdom Hearts. And it was a thing where like the listeners were like, you have to do an episode trying to wade through this mythology. And a lot of the episodes, the fun of Scott just reading through the rules of the lore of Kingdom Hearts, which is so much more confusing than you could ever imagine it to be. Uh, great episode. Everyone subscribe for the second gate. Worth it. But um, it's a similar thing where you just have to accept every time they tell you. And of course, this happens because of this. In this world, the heartless, of course, manifest in different worlds. Each tenant of a person's heart is represented by a different princess. They all exist in different planes. Like, you know. Yeah. You're just like, that's what it, the hell maiden thing. You that's, just have to accept Those that. are the rules because those are the rules. Those are the rules because those are the rules. Exactly. So the parents do come back. Yes. And they are nice. Yes. But of course, the fundamental thing about this is like the cream only works for so long and there's only so much of it. They realize So this is this. not an right. infinite thing. Right. Fairly late. But there's the great scene where Cat uh, goes back to her childhood home and yeah. it's like her and finally being there. willing to revisit the trauma and they're there. Yes. And it's like both the exact thing she's always dreamed of and the most nightmarish version of it possible where her parents are corpse people who just woke up and are like, what the fuck happened to everything? Yes. She still has barely interacted with Wendell and Wilde. Correct. And we're like more than halfway into the movie. Right. It's you're an like, hour and 45 minutes long. Yeah. You're like this. And the credits are fairly long. Yeah. This movie is like split off into two halves that barely touch each other. And they just seemingly keep on adding more things to the plate. And then there's the moment where the whole thing fucking finally clicks. Yeah. Which I think is when the daughter goes and confronts her parents. Yeah, it's like Siobhan goes to see her parents. She discovers their lies. Right. I guess. Like, they're like, oh, these private prisons are nice. And it's like, no, you pack in more people. You get more money. You know, it's like. You get money from the government. Google the, the prison industrial complex, right. fellas. Right. And they're like, it doesn't benefit anyone to have a town with a thriving black community. It does not help anyone to have an art scene. It does not help anyone. But it's also like. It, we're, we don't care about rehabilitating people in these prisons. That's the, the biggest the, thing. Having them in here is the money. Oh, maker. no. Right. These people are fucking monsters. Yes. They look at human beings in a way that, like, it's alarming. Yeah, but luckily this is a fantasy film. It's a fantasy film with no basis in reality. No, of course not. No, I mean, it's like, it, it's, I mean, 
I'm glad they're spot like he's spotlighting this. It's issue. a very interesting thing to make a film about. But Basically, holy shit, right. they're like, look, if the if the prisons were successful in rehabilitating people, we go out of business. The the town cannot have any health to it because then you are giving people opportunities to build lives for themselves rather than having to default. These people eat babies. That's how bad they're they horrendous. are. They're like horrendous. Like I I like couldn't rewatching it and I'm, again I'm like. Just seeing these characters right. have a daughter and exist and like have a life, I'm like, these are true monsters. And they also they they deliver this to her in a like, we're finally ready to teach you about the family business. Like it's not even delivered as this like villains, like great Ozymandias, and here's right. the whole time, you know, like secret thing. Yeah. It's like I think you're old enough to understand the great way that we make a lot of money. They're so unembarrassed by what they're saying. And they're like, and it's about to get better. Right. So at some point, Hallie and Man Manberg, Manberg. Yes. Because Hallie has, at this point, confessed to Kat that she too is a help. Yeah, but she's spending the whole movie being like, you have to listen to me. I know how this works. And Kat's like, I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. Um, but they eventually are like, you need to sever your ties mm -hmm. with Wendell and Wilde, who you've barely interacted with. Right. But you've made a promise to them. You're sworn so to them. You're now, yes. yeah, sworn to them. So you have to undo that, which is intense. Yes. And in doing that, she kind of finally is like getting over the parents' death. This right? incredible sequence yeah. where they like essentially have to make like a blood pact, right. bind their hands together by Remed, their two demon hands, and then you have this extended like shadow puppet sequence. Right, which is really cool. That is like Kat living through the basic the car accident, the car accident, but also like the things that put her in juvenile detention. Right. right, right There's right. the sort of like accidental like death or injury with the staircase. There's all this sort of stuff that makes her feel like she is not worthy of rehabilitation, which is, uh, you know, the whole other thing this movie is into of just like creating the mindset in people that they don't deserve better, that there is no other outcome for them, that there is no way for them to ever build a better life for themselves. You don't want to give people hope. And Kat has so fully bought into right, this. Right, into that sort of way of Right, thinking. that she is forced to, like, accept that. And, and I think is, what is interesting is this movie doesn't want to wave some magic wand and go, everything is fixed, no one did anything wrong, everything's good. It's like many of the good characters in this movie have both good and bad qualities. And yes. have done bad things for good reasons and good things for bad reasons and what have you. You have like the fucking Claxons who are uh, monsters who deserve to die in the fiery pits of hell. But like they don't go like Cat was framed. No, no, I suppose you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, sure. No, she's not in this, whatever. She's, I mean, she's a child. Yeah, she's, yes, you know, yes. And she's had a hard go. She's, she's had a hard go. I mean, life. her parents died. She got put into like, you know, the, the foster system. It's a bad system. This is what the whole fucking movie is about. The whole system is bad. It feeds off of people giving in and giving up, you know? Yeah. In severing her connection with Wendell and Wilde, mm -hmm. she gains full access to her precognitive powers. Yes. Hallie is also kind of like, uh, left kind of dead, not dead, but like she's like depleted by the ritual, right? Like she's right, in, yes, right, yeah. I'm not, yeah. Um, so. Yes. Once again, it, it there's truly a whole would take this uh, ten watches of this movie to be able to. Yeah, I've seen it three times. I watched it kind of recently, and I just I cannot. No. What happens is Wendell and Wild steal her parents. They take them to the cemetery. Uh -huh. Siobhan realizes that the money 
the Claxons have been promising Wendell and Wilde as seed money for their amusement park yeah. is like fake money. It's right. like Claxon bucks. bucks. Right. Clax exactly. Cash, I think yeah. It's yeah. Um, Buffalo Bells are finally bursts out of the ground. Right. Having been like searching for his lost demons. Yes. But then there's like a mural that Raul has painted. Yes. That he's been working on for the whole movie. Correct. That convinces him, like, ah, they're not so bad, my kids. Like, and so he's not going to, like, squish them. He's going to, like, make up for them. Make right, up and there's them. also this realization of you have chased all your other children away. Yes, right. That's what, because like, Wendell and Wilder are, like, his last uh, two children. You've tried to force your own wills. You tried to force your children into being you rather than letting them be who they want to be and follow their own bliss. These are the last two. And he's like, I, I need to love my sons for who they are. I need to accept it. I'm not even going to be angry at them using this cream to revive the dead. Oh, by the way, you know, the cream doesn't really work. The hair falls out like almost. <laughs> right. The cream is temporary. Right. So this is when they find out, oh, everyone's going to go back to being dead. Best dies again. And uh, the but it's also revealed that the many jarred demons that Manberg has been collecting are Belger's children. So they are released. Right. So they can make this sort of deal of like they can uh, I don't know, not sedate, but they can they can appeal to Buffalo Belzer by reuniting him with the family he thought he had lost. Jesus, this movie is so complicated. And then there's the big (laughs) sequence with the bulldozers. Right. Where the bulldozers are going to demolish the town. Well, the other thing is they realize they only have a certain amount of cream left. So they uh, like. Do you use that? Cat's first instinct is get extra time with her parents. Right. Uh, but Raul is like, well, we could use this to like get her, no testimony. The, I, the dad is the one who says. Yeah, that's true. Like, but Raul is the one who does it, isn't he? I don't know. Yeah, he goes but he's like the one who them. basically says, like, we have loved every minute we've had with you. Yeah. But uh, we're gonna go away eventually, no matter what. You could use the last cream you have to do something to bring this town back to life forever. Which so, is get the testimony of the people who were in the fire at the brewery. So they go to, like, revive the three witnesses to the fire who are yes. dead. Yes. To testify against the Clax Corp. After this bulldozer fight, that's awesome. This oh, bulldozer yeah. fight, that's a lot of fun. It's, yeah. uh, it's to the TV on the radio. TV on the radio. It's the big sort of final sequence. You have Mambo whipping ass in his wheelchair. Is there, yeah, is there anything else to it? It's just fun. It just looks cool. Yeah. There's just, like, tons of bulldozers yeah, going. Fun. And Kat, before her parents die, uses her psychic powers to show them the nice future that Russ Bank is going to have. Yeah. And Wendell and Wilde say they can have VIP passes to their afterlife amusement park. Which they, they pop up in their pop-up book. Buffalo Bells gets it. He sees the vision. He's, he's, he approves. He approves. Normal movie. Very normal. normal. It's sort of about prison. It's about parenting. You're identifying graf- correctly, Griffin, this sort of thing of like, you have to let things go. You have to, you know, let your kids be different from you. You're, you yeah. might have to, you know, make bed with the wrong people, but you have to, you know, keep a hold of yourself. Yes. There are things running through it, but then it all also is just kind of like every 10 minutes, you're like, well, I'm very engaged by how complicated this is. Yeah. And I think some people maybe are like, this is too complicated for me. to I, I, I don't think this movie has any dead ends. I don't think it has, you know, like, uh, split hairs and frayed edges or whatever, you know? Like, nothing about it feels incomplete. It's just one of those things. There are movies, you know, I, I, I find more often they're, like, <laughs> the world's biggest sci-fi blockbusters. 
that some people will slam for being uh, corny or overwritten or mm -hmm. underwritten or whatever the fuck, right? Right. Uh, that you and I will defend adamantly. Right. And there are things like Inception or Avatar where you're like, you know what? You, if you're going to make this movie work and you're going to get to the pure pleasure and joy of these triumphant, virtuoso, final act and a half set pieces, you need to just have a lot of inelegant, clumsy, ham-fisted exposition to set up the rules of this universe. Right. You're just going to have an hour of making us eat vegetables, just shoving it down our throat, because then you can get to the point where you don't have to explain anything further. And Wendell Wall is a movie that operates like that for almost all of its running time. I would say it works in spite of itself. A little bit. I fully but like I it. But I also support the in spite of itselfness. Me too. If that makes oh, sense. Me too. But it is that thing where it's like the whole movie is Inception style explaining to you, well, this is a kick and this is a totem and this is my history and my wife was this and all of that. And you're doing it on like a surprisingly big canvas for an hour and 40 minute animated film, narratively big canvas. When you saw it at Toronto uh, after a perfect night's sleep <laughs> and I asked you how it was, you said, I think it's kind of great. It's got a lot of ideas. And that's the thing I just keep on going back to where it's just like, it's got no shortage of ideas. I think it's great. I'm a big fan I do too. Of and I think most movies like this where it's like, oh, they had too many ideas. You, you feel the excess fat. You feel like this was a thing from a draft, from five drafts ago that no longer has any place in this movie and it doesn't tie into anything else. It takes a very long time for him to properly weave all the threads. But I do think it is cohesive by the end of the movie. I agree. I felt satisfied at the end of the movie. I did too. A little exhausted. Then Me again, too. I was tired. Ben and I saw it in theaters. It was you did. playing at the quad for like five days unadvertised. There was one other person in the theater. And we walked out and we were like pretty fucking invigorated by it. Yeah. Like just talking about the, the actual things it is saying about society. Absolutely. It's also a diverse animated movie yeah which felt really like special thumbs up to salik absolutely the way they Thinking deal with Raul being trans feels very like understated yeah uh you know the, the, the stupid reactionary fucking go woke go broke shit that people complain about i think what is more often a problem is when like movies want to pat themselves yes, on the exactly. back for being progressive while making, well, actually doing the film, right? And this is just like, it's a reality of the movie. It's basically like stated only through context clues, you know? Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, the, the idea I think is Raul was once part of the clique. Yes. And, you know, now feels different and alienated. Right. And that's complicated. And, you know, Cat feels that way too. There's a connection there that's yes. interesting. Uh, it feels alienated, to be clear. Yeah. Do we say what happens, though, to the Claxons? They get arrested. They get arrested because yeah. the, the corpses testify against right, them. Right, but I think the detail I just want to spotlight yes, is that they, like, go against each oh, other. Oh, yeah, they immediately turn right. on each other. They immediately right, course, turn right, on each yes, other because they're, they're the fucking worst people on right, the fucking right. planet. Right, there's no one they won't sell out. Right. 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 Like, immediately. Immediately, yes. I don't know. I think they're great. Yeah? I think they should. They have a lot of interesting ideas. Yeah, right. And they deserve a platform. You know, Selick has said that his future, he's, he's, he's vague about it. He's yeah. basically like, look, I've got some things I want to do. I had a feature I almost did a Leica. Maybe I'll go back to that. He knows he can't wait 13 years. Right. 
And he says, I kind of like the streaming aspect because I don't have to live and die by the opening weekend. You know, I'm hopeful uh, that that will be helpful. He has the rights back to the Shadow King. He's got that sort of game and ocean at the end of the lane thing that he's thinking about. But he knows he can't think forever if he wants to do another finish. Like that is huge for him Uh, because I think the Shadow King thing for so long just felt like they won't even let him start something again because the idea of having to take a $50 million write-off on an unfinished chunk of movie is what's scaring everyone else from giving him the green light. But what a cool title. Yep. The Shadow King. But I will say, on the pessimistic side, there is just that fear of like, wow, this movie didn't really feel like it broke through. At all. And I don't think that's like the death of stop motion because like no. I do think like Guillermo's movie is breaking through a little more. Yeah. There's still a lot of love for that look. Leica has another project on the way, but I do wonder if people will just kind of be like, well, there are people who are a little easier to deal with than you, than Henry Selleck, you know, than you, Henry Selleck. So I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't mean to uh, put the pressure on any sense of, uh, I don't know, cultural, societal obligation. But you and I were just talking about how uh, Marcel the Shell with shoes on has seemingly become the critic's choice for animated we both feel like Pinocchio yep. is probably going to be the frontrunner for the Oscar, but at least with critics would groups, be my guess. Marcel seems to be popular. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. This does feel like a movie that needs some people getting behind it and championing it just to remind people that it exists or let them know for the first time that it exists. Yes. I mean, I hope it gets an Oscar nomination. I would say right now that is maybe. It is wild that it's on the cusp because this should it's be on the cusp. locked I think there are three locks in a year with that was generally pretty bad for animation. The fact that this movie is not a lock is pretty damning of Netflix. You think there are three locks. You think the three locks are turning red, Pinocchio and when and, and Marcel. I think Marcel is probably I like think now more Marcel of a lock. Is. Yeah. And then I think I would I would put Wendell fourth. Yeah. And I would put either like the Sea Beast, which a lot of people liked on Netflix. It's a big hit, seemingly for them too. Um, or whatever that means. Don't make fun of me. What I hear a lot of good things about Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Apparently, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish rips. I remember I was like, I was going to something with Ehrlich, and he was like, Emma Stefanski gave the Puss in Boots movie like an A minus for us, and I was like, I hear it's good. It's supposedly good. Um, so maybe that. Uh, there are other things like Lightyear and Strange World that didn't really connect. There's stuff no. like the bad guys that right. kind of like did all right. I mean, I think Mad God obviously should be nominated, but that feels fringy. Yeah, that God. would be my favorite. Me too. Well, that was happen. what I voted for. The It'd be great circle. to see three stop motion films. But this nominated. is the thing: I voted for Mad God at the Critics Circle because I was like, well, that's the thing I. Really Really I agree. And then Wendell, I was sort of my second. What? Marcel- More movies should go down. Mm-hmm. I don't like how movies are always going forward. I'm just realizing with Marcel, it basically is, is stop motion primarily. You could have a good category where four out of the five nominees were stop motion. Yeah, it's possible. And they would show a pretty diverse range of films. Yeah. That would be my five. It's also a lot of work. It, that's the thing. I, I mean, just watching want- that documentary, like the claim, you know. You got to watch Claydrian, David. It's just like, I'm like, what drives a person? What kind of person do you have to be to want to do and that? And Wilvin was working in fucking clay. Yeah. Like, that shit, like, melts and it smushes. You knock it over, the whole thing's totally smushed. Crazy. Yeah. It's just, you have to really be a certain kind of person to just, yeah. like, be willing to just, like, sit there and meticulously... That with all these guys. And it's like Phil Tippett, Will Vinton, Henry Selleck. They're all different types of people. 
Yeah. The one commonality you hear with them is like, and then they go into some weird Zen flow state when they're animated. I think the key word is you have to be a fucking weirdo. You have to be a fucking weirdo. Big time. Yeah. Let's play the box office game before we wrap up this series and announce our next series and do our rankings. Okay. Number one. No merch for this movie. Another thing that makes you feel like Netflix. I understand that in some sense, just because this movie was supposed to come out two years ago. Like, I maybe they were just like, this is too big a movie I target. The only way in which I'm surprised is that it's like, a, visually, this movie looks so great. The designs are so great in all the characters. And B, the amount of money Selleck movies have made from merch. For there not to be anything. Like, not to be fucking t-shirts with these characters on or whatever. You're like, Coraline stuff is still lining fucking Hot Topic. A store that basically exists as a testament to Jack Skellington. Yeah. I have one note I wanted to read. Okay. This is Republicans' dream for our future. Ancient races vote for our future. Yeah. It is pretty funny. If the Republicans were like, no, 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 We're a very reasonable party. And we've revived um, several members from the 19th century. We uh, now know exactly what our founding forefathers intended because we brought them back <laughs> to Right life. here. Yep. And there's just a skeleton going like, <laughs> <laughs> Number one at the box office on October 21st, 2022, which is the weekend this movie was nominally released. Is the <laughs> most no box office figures reported. Right. Most successful film of all time. The most successful movie of all time. Give me the weekend again. Sorry. October 21st, 2022. Most successful film ever made. The most successful Got film the receipts? ever made. Of course. Of course. Is this weekend one or two? One. Coming uh, out this week. Black Adam. Yep. Which opened to, I'm seeing here, Infinity Money. Just a little eight on its side. It's funny. Wait, I'm seeing a different report here. It says it was number one with pure profit. <laughs> <laughs> I should have called it in the blackout because it got there ex immediately. Immediately. Look, $67 million. A lot of people would just take the W of having a big opening weekend for your big movie. Other people would throw a two month hissy fit on Twitter about it and eventually leak financial documents to a blog to prove that, yes, they made money. Definitely. Profit. And basically, the documents reveal that the projections that within five years, eventually, the total Make profit. Money. Yeah, there's right. money to be made and by making the way, movies. Half of that profit is the amount of money that Warner Brothers pays itself through HBO Max. People were scandalized by rights. that. And I was right. like, that's, like that's how all always how they do And it. they control like the fucking companies that own the billboard space. So they yeah. pay themselves to buy yeah, billboards this is and TV ads. On the welcome market. to late capitalism. Anyway, this was the funniest people thing. People want to dig into this. I'm sorry, but just smoking gun. I can't remember if it was Harry Potter five or six. But the Smoking Gun website, like, 10 years ago, got the full, like, P&L account of Half-Blood Prince or Order of the Phoenix or whatever the fuck it was. And just explained the way that Warner Brothers made it seem as if that movie lost $150 million so that they didn't have to pay out profit participation. This is why I like this. I like some people are like, what a pansy move by The Rock to release. He's the ultimate candy, yeah. To release, you know, doc, you know, basically like to leak stuff to a deadline to basically prove that Black Adam made some money. I'm like, this is good. A movie like Black Adam that was an objective failure. Yes. That makes money. This is the thing that we need to start acknowledging that Hollywood refused. They'll be like, oh, well, the business is in trouble. It's like, right. no, you can release dog shit yes. to no applause and make money. Well, well, if you restore the like sort of multi-tentral release, yeah. if you just punt the thing to streaming, you don't. Yeah. I, yeah. I David, I agree. Don't I you agree. like money? You 
fucks? Someone on our Reddit brought up uh, when Tom Hanks and uh, Bobby Z yep. were on Charlie Rose show promoting Polar Express. And so many of the headlines around that movie were that it was so fucking expensive. And they were like, are you worried? And Zemeckis just broke down like, it is basically impossible for a studio movie to lose money. Yes. That was at the time where DVD sales were so strong that they would push any movie into profit. Right. And then it's like, and then you sell to pay TV and then you sell to network TV, a DVD, and then whatever. And all these compressed windows shrunk the ability for any movie to go back into the black. And Black Adam shows you like, right, if you go through all the steps. Yeah, you make money. Eventually. Anyway. Number two at the box office, opening against Black Adam, mm -hmm. a fairly successful uh, movie star movie. Uh, a Ticket to Paradise. Yeah. What's the worldwide total on that? The worldwide Well, domestically, it's up to 70? It's up to 66. Okay. 67. So it gets a 70. Yeah. Uh, and worldwide, I want to say it made a, a full hundo. Exactly. It's made $170 million. Yeah. Doesn't it just kind of look like a fake movie? Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't what? look like it's Still real. Still made money. Ben, it feels, it, real? it feels like a fake movie. Yeah. yeah. Watching it, yeah. it's it, probably the most disappointing film I've seen all year because yeah. I wanted nothing more than for that film to be a gentleman's six. It's like and a gentleman's like, four and a half. Yeah, maybe a it's five. A maybe a five if I'm being yeah. generous. Right. Wow. But I am happy that it exists and I'm happy that it's Did successful. Fine. More of this, please. Here's another film. Number three at the box office in its fourth weekend. It's made $84 million mm -hmm. on a small budget. What's the film? Smile. Smile. I'm just so pissed off that in the last six weeks, yes, like industry reporting is sort of turned back to like, I don't know, man, I think this whole thing might be cooked. It's like, fuck you. It's been a whole year of success. Smile. And suddenly they're like, I don't know. I mean, like this one movie isn't clicking. Ah, strange world. I think it's over, guys. Might as well just put it all on streaming. Smile was going to go straight to Paramount Plus. It sure was. It screened at a horror festival. They were like, oh, surprisingly good response. Can we take a flyer on this one? $200 million worldwide. For Franchise. Cost five? If that. It was just, how much, how expensive is smiling? Not expensive. <laughs> okay. Number four at the box office, the flip side of Smile, the film that was released on streaming the same day it was put in theaters to, the, the movie still made money, but, you know, to a huge detriment for its uh, brand name, you know, uh, 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 remind me which streaming service it's on. Peacock. It's a Peacock movie. It's called Halloween Kills. No, it's not. Halloween Ends. There you go. Sorry. 64 million domestic. Yeah. Got crushed by Smile. Halloween Ends. Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers were finally, were, it, this is it, guys. Well, but that's not really what the movie was, which people soured on and found out about pretty quickly. No. The, I mean, well, yes, people didn't like the movie, but no, no, no. But like the marketing of that movie is still, I understand. you know, like, hey, we got Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. Smile just had smiling. The word That's about all it had. on that thing was so toxic it was. and so fast it's not a good, it's that not like a... the people who go see the early Thursday night screenings all walked out and they were like, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers were on screen together for five minutes. Fuck this movie. I feel like it curdled immediately. Also, people didn't love Kills. They didn't love Kills. The, the, kills the bloom was already a little off. Kind of overperformed considering it was but, also day and date on Peacock. It was surprising it, it made that much money. Like, you know, deeper in the pandemic. Yes. But anyway. Yeah. Number five at the box office. For two months, the only family film available to a starved audience that was just like, I guess we'll see this. It's made $85 million worldwide. I'm trying to remember what this movie is. Uh, the only family film right. well, released it was, in October. Yeah, uh, Legion of Superhero, at least Super Pets, was in a similar zone where it hung in there for so long because no one else was releasing any other fucking thing. Remind me what studio this is. Paramount. Uh, Lyle, Lyle Crocodile? Lyle, Lyle Crocodile. Yes. 
which Katie Rich keeps telling me is good. And that Bardem deserves a Golden Globe nom. Evan Susser DM me being like, you seen it? And I was like, no. He's like, damn it. I saw it and Javier Bardem's really good. I just want to talk about <laughs> it with somebody. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. You got to watch it. Also in the top 10, The Woman yeah. King, another solid hit. Yeah. Made $70 million. Yeah. Terrifier 2, another insane thing. Made $10 million, right. despite apparently being like just disgusting. Just true word of mouth. <laughs> don't worry, darling. A piece, sorry, a flawed film. Yeah. Uh, that uh, made $45 I, I, million. Dollars, a, base, uh, piece de merde. Yeah. Amsterdam, there's no defending that no. one. That thing just stunk. Should I, could I, should I see it though? Just to like stare at it? Yes, go ahead. Why don't you stare at that one? It'd make you so angry. <laughs> really? Uh, Triangle of Sadness, a Swedish two and a half hour film about barfing, <laughs> has made $5 million domestically. Yeah. It's actually made some money. Yeah. <laughs> Where the poster is an old lady barfing. I This is what I would say. I would say the problem is that all of the Oscar movies are topping out at that exact number. It's like Triangle of Sadness is doing better than you expect. Yeah. The problem is that you're like, Oh, but like that's the same number Tar ended up at. The, the, everyone's saying like the market's gone, the market's gone, and I'm like, that's fine. Five to ten seems to be the market for everything other than every everything everywhere all at once. I'm just like, guys, this is not a quick fix thing. Take your goddamn time I, and put your. No, I'm not ranting at you. I'm ranting at the people in my DMs who work for the movie night industries. Down from my throat. <laughs> goddamn. No, I'm like, put the windows back up. Make an effort here. Give people, I have so many people in my life who are like, I wanted to see the Fablemans at Thanksgiving and I couldn't. It never happened. Why not? Right. And I'm like, yeah, because they were actually too scared yeah. to like release it. And then it's like, well, it's on PVOD like immediately. And I'm like, why? And everyone at the studios is like, I don't know, it doesn't really hurt. And I'm like, it may not hurt financially, but like you're hurting your fucking business, you yeah. morons. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, that's the box office for Windblown Wild. Hey. Numbers not reported. Uh, no. Has knows. never cracked the Netflix 10. Uh, no, right? I expect this episode will result in the biggest uh, audience. And that's not that us got. patting us ourselves on the no, back. No, it's, it's how apathetic uh, the promotion of this film has been. I, I get them not wanting to cannibalize against Pinocchio, that they have like two movies in this one category, yeah. in the same medium, with both acclaimed filmmakers, and one of them's got a lot more Oscar heat on and a lot more critical adoration. And that's now become their biggest Oscar contender overall. But it's strange. Now, my top five seller. I don't know what yours is. What's yours? I, I'm i a little stuck on the middle. I know my top two and I know my no, number no, I know. I mean, I, I, I think uh, I think I got to give the hair to Nightmare over Coraline. I figured you would. I think they're both masterpieces. I'm not a cock. I'm not a dumb animation nerd. I'm a big I'm not special owned. toy. I'm not owned as I slowly turn to a coin cup. Yes. Um, it, it just, it falls into like, like Wizard of Oz territory. For me, I, I, I'm like, I sympathize with that. It, I'm the that, it, There's just some magical alchemical thing with that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if I think Coraline is kind of the greater achievement for Henry Selleck Otor. Sure. Right. If that but makes no. sense. Yeah, I know. But you have Nightmare 1 and Coraline 2. I have Coraline 1 and Nightmare right. 2. But what's your number three? I imagine you have Peach. Yeah, Peach is third. Wendell Wald is fourth. Monkey Bone is fifth. I have it the same way, but I yeah. considered putting Wendell over Peach. I just want that on the record. Uh, sure, sure. Wait, really? Why? I don't know. I dug Wendell Wild. That's cool. the lie for him. <laughs> James and the Giant Peach is a more straightforward thing for me. I get why I like it. Mm -hmm. Bugs, Roll Doll, Peach, fun. 
Great soundtrack of all time. Sure, absolutely. Banger after banger, banger after banger. Wendell and Wild, I'm like, oh, there's so much in here that's interesting. Does the movie yeah. function for me as well? I'm not sure. You know, at the end of the day, I'm going for like Peach, maybe slightly more functional, but I don't know. Wendell and Wild has got so much going I'll on. I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, uh, Peach, I've, I've watched many, many times as we've covered. It remains very watchable for me. Wendell and Wild, I was curious if watching it a second time, it would have like a glass onion effect where you're like, knowing where the movie ends up, I have a much greater appreciation for all the setup. I see it all from a different prism. Yep. I don't think it plays that way on a second time. No, no, it doesn't. It, it, it has less sort of like pure joy rewatchability than the I other Selleck I encountered that, which is a problem for me. Right. It's still, on second watch. On second watch, it is still very plotty. There's a lot to get through. But that was my problem was I was like right there after establishes, right there after establishes. Right. Like, you know, there were a few scenes where I was just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But I like thinking about it. I do too. I think he's made four phenomenal movies. And Monkey Bone is one of the more interesting, odd duck, bad objects ever that I still even kind of more like than dislike. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. No, I don't need to qualify that. I'm, I like that movie. I kind of do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ben's mixed. Yeah. Ben's a no. Right. And uh, Justin McElroy is going back to graduate school to get his PhD oh in Monkey Bonology. He's going to get yeah, seriously. Bone I did HD. like what you pointed out about Monkey Bone, which is mm -hmm. the, uh, a 90s aesthetic. I've thought about that a bunch Being since we recorded daddy. the episode. <laughs> but it's just like something about it's like it's swing. Yeah. yeah revival. Exactly. And it's we're in Smash Mouth all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. And it's chain wallets. That whole movie's <laughs> wearing a fedora. It really you is. You know what's a weird thing in that movie we forgot to talk about? What? I mean, because we'd already gone long and, and talked a lot about the strangeness of that film. The whole end sequence where Chris Kattan and Brendan Fraser are fighting, holding onto the strings of a giant monkey bone like Thanksgiving Day balloon, yep. right? And it looks like, I don't know how they did this or if this was intentional or not, but it like looks like rear projection more than green screen. Mm. It looks like deliberately, artificially, right. like they're just Old in front fashion. of a screen kind of shit. Um, I swear to God, that whole final sequence, they start styling Fraser to look more like a monkey. And in that final sequence, he's got, like, a unibrow. They have, like, stuck his ears out further. His teeth have gotten bigger. That's clever. And There's all kinds of fucking organs are falling out of his body. It's like, that's, right, that's what you want out of a live-action Henry Selleck movie. I agree. I don't know. Weird film. I hope people watched it. Super weird. And I, and I hope this has made you consider Henry Selleck. Consider the Selleck. Consider him. Consider him as an artist in his own right. Who? you be considering next my friend Great before question. we leave david it's someone we've been talking about for such a goddamn long time and i will say i selected i basically said next year mm -hmm. when we were in the thick of kubrick and yeah. i was like oh my god this is so stressful yes Love i was like next year i'm gonna do someone i like you're gonna do so we're fun. gonna each pick an old fade pick and I also kind of have that feeling of like, we just got to get some of these guides off the board. Yeah. Some of these will do them. These guys. are both major, we'll do them someday, guys. And major, we push them through March Madness year after year, guys. Right. Yeah. So next we're doing our first British filmmaker. Unless you count Noah. Isn't he Irish? Oh, David. He's not Irish. Is he not Irish? Is he not Irish? No, Is he not he's Irish? Irish? He's English. No. You're freaking me out there. And Nolan obviously does count as an English filmmaker. Yeah. But not really, because, like, he hasn't really made movies 
you know, in England sure. or about England in a long time. Well, he's our well, first proper English director. And what I was about to do is going to become less funny. I'm still going to do it. I'm warning everyone in advance. I'm still going to do it. It's just less funny now that I know he's not Irish. But he's David, not Irish. Please say the name of the filmmaker. Danny Boyle. Oh, Daddy Boyle, <laughs> the pipes, the pipes are calling. Embarrassing for you. I believe his parents may have been Irish. I think he was like born to Irish. Oh, Danny Parents. Boyle. So there you the go. The mini series is calling. Um, we're gonna do the films of Danny Boyle. A lot of people have been guessing. A lot of different people. Yeah. Well, wait. Okay. So then, are you gonna say yours? No. Well, should we? No. It's up to you. We don't have to. We don't have. Let's to. just stay silent. <laughs> yeah. Then we'll do some. We're gonna do a Griff guy, and yeah. then I guess after that we will do whoever wins March Madness. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to keep doing guys we like to do. Some other things we have coming in 2023, though, of course, is uh, well, the Blanky Awards. Uh-huh. M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, which has been rated R. His Four. first R, violence cool. and language. Cool. Even cooler. Uh, <laughs> cooler. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, which is his first R since uh, The, the happening. happening. Right? Yeah. Old was a PG-13. Uh, we also, hopefully, are going to have... Well, we're going to do a main feed episode on the new Mission Impossible movie yes. next year. Right, because we gonna do, covered all the other McHugh films yeah. at this point. We're going to do uh, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to do Michael Mann's Ferrari, assuming that actually does come out. Yes. I think we'll do Aquaman 2. Oh, yeah. Whenever that's coming out. I think we will. Um, assuming that it ever comes out. One of those weird things where they made a billion dollar movie and now they're like, should we even release the sequel? I'm like, you probably should. Fucking... This yeah. ball and chain. It's so weird. But most excitingly, um, yeah, Danny Boyle coming up. Danny Boyle. All right. So next week. Sunshine, one of the episodes we've been, you talk about since the beginning of this show, the things we've dreamed about doing episodes on. This is maybe one of the last huge, like, Griffin David shared obsession movie. Absolutely. One of those, like, you know what's good? Sunshine. Yeah. We're not going to have an interstitial because we just did Avatar and we're doing Shop yeah, Hunsu. Yeah, we got so we're not, you know, we're not we doing got any cleanser. Nah. Yeah. Next week, a little film called Shallow Grave. Enjoy, you miserable, lovely people. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork. I know I've already called out what a good job uh, Pat did on the uh, the Photoshop miniseries artwork for Selick, uh, I think in the Monkey Bone episode. But uh, it feels like there's a lot of uh, versatility with the the close up zoomed in photo of <laughs> your face on the James puppet has <laughs> has been getting a lot of traction. People as a just think it has cold dead eyes. Maybe yeah. I'll do my own podcast about it. Yeah, cold eyes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sounds good. Sounds original. Uh, thank you to AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for editing. Lane Montgomery, the great American novel for our theme song, J.J. Birch for our research. Went deep on the Selleck stuff, as he always does. Uh, you can go to uh, blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including Blank Check special features, our Patreon feed, where we do franchise commentaries. And of course, we're doing Hollywood's biggest blockbuster franchise right now in the month of January. The Kotsi Trilogy. That's right. Kotsi Trilogy. Thrilogy. We should call it the Kotsi Thrilogy. So if you want to see us watch esoteric movies while on CBD dog biscuits. Ben's chomping on dog biscuits. I should make it clear. We emailed to Headgrass and said, can you please send us dog biscuits? Ben wants to eat them on mic. 
And the response was, um, we will send you dog biscuits. I just want to remind you those are not meant for humans. Or dogs. And we would like it if you spent more time talking about any of our other products. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't, don't worry. They'll be used on mic. Crunch, crunch. I crunch dispensers. <laughs> All right, we're done. Come on. How okay. long is this episode? Uh, long enough. Yeah, hey. exactly. Hey, we love to hear it. Hey, we love to hear it. Tune in next week for Shallow Grave. And as always, crunch, crunch. <laughs>